<laughs> I tried to shut up. <laughs> By the way, I'm getting that Pia. I was got in touch with uh, the Ibanez. I got in touch with the guy who actually designed the car. Yeah. It's. I tell you what, I'm not in love with that show, but it, it's so out of this world and so bold. That's what I told Mike, who was responsible for that project. It's, it's a bold move, I love that. That's why it excites me about the guitar. And of course, you must be an incredible <laughs> And I, I don't doubt that. Okay, I'm ready. And you know what, I bought three guitars. Today's, I think I'm, I'm I'm deep into midlife crisis right now. <laughs> Hello, thank you, and hey. welcome again to another live chit chat with Git Cats, where I try and line up a few people where. I can learn some things and so can you. You can join us on the live chat, ask some questions. It's amazing he'll say yes when you ask them. So one thing that a lot of people ask me about has been load boxes and speaker IRs because I quite often have, particularly in the solos on my demos, um, that it's recorded through uh, a load box and the wall of sound plugin. Um, I could try and explain all this to you, but... I thought I'd get somebody along who actually wrote the book on all this stuff, set the industry standard, and his name is, I'm going to get this right, Guillaume from A Two Note. So everybody, say hello to Guillaume. Hey, Guillaume. Hey, Rick. Hey, everybody. I Just so you know, I don't see the question. I, I didn't load the YouTube page, so you read the questions, okay. but I'm very I've happy got a little. I've got a little screen right here, um, awesome. and I can see we've got a couple of people in there already. We've got uh, Mo. Uh, Maritz, uh, we've got Lauren Watson already in there. Um, we've got a few people watching. So, Guillaume, I'm going to start with load boxes because this is something that, you know, sometimes I talk to people and they're not real sure what the hell I'm talking about. And I yeah. thought I would ask an expert. So I'm going to start off with, can you explain to us what a load, what a load box is, please? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you need to understand that uh, a tube amp, especially a tube amp, but any amp is designed to work with a load and what we call a load, uh, uh, so that's a, an electronic term to design a device that when you plug it to the amp will react with it somehow. Um, a tube amp absolutely needs to have a load. Uh, a solid state, not really, but as a user, uh, or player, you want to hear what you play. And actually, the load, in the case of uh, a guitar system, is the cabinet. So the app is designed to work with a cabinet and vice versa. Um, originally, the, the idea to replace the cabinet with a load of some sort, electrical load, comes from the industry, uh, mainly the hi-fi industry. I'll give you an example. Imagine you are in the 70s building thousands and thousands of, of i-fi uh, uh, systems and you need to test them so you have two choice uh, 
how can you taste a power amp? You need to make noise, right? Uh -huh. So you have the thousands of, of amps going out of the chain and you need to test them all. So you have the option of plugging speakers on it and that's not a very nice environment. Or, or you, you, you replace the cabinet by a system that's silent, still makes the amp believe that he's connected, it's connected to, to a load, to a cabinet, that's the load. And, and instead of turning the power coming from the amp into movement, which is your speaker, right? Electri electricity, then movement, that's the, that's the speaker. We do a different transformation. We do electricity into heat. So a load box is actually the same stuff you have in your heater at home. <laughs> we turn electricity into heat. Uh -huh. So it's all about, uh, first of all, because I said you need to plug the amp into something. A tube amp especially will fry or can get damaged pretty badly if it doesn't see a load. Uh, so you need to protect the amp and you want to protect your ears from the noise and that's why we designed something that's silent. So that's for the technical part. Uh, uh, but ultimately, <clears throat> we use this device when we want to play amps, tube or solid state, it doesn't matter. We want that sound. We want to be able to push the power amp to get that sound, but we can't afford to make too much noise. So that's the tone without the SPL, without the sound pressure level. Uh, uh, I know that most guitarists love to play with a wall of four by 12. I'm, I'm the same. If I get the opportunity and I've played live, I don't have the time anymore really to play live, but I've played live many, many, many times uh, for many years. Uh, uh, give me a wall of four by 12. Yes, I'm in. The thing is, uh, I was never able to do that at home. Uh, I think I was, not really able to do that on stage because I never played stadium or, or very, very big uh, venues. or So uh, it was never an option. Or you would go into a fight with front of house, with other players, with the audience even. Uh, uh, and it, to me, the, the idea to work on that concept of the load box, which I didn't invent, like I said, since the 70s or even 60s, we, we designed products like that. Uh, uh, my, my participation in this is more like you could find analog load boxes with analog speaker seam. And I've never been very fond of analog speaker seam. I don't think they, they work very well if you're trying to replicate a miking, like a real miking. If you, I mean, some people love the sound of analog load boxes and I respect that. I just don't. I come from sound recording, mic, traditional, and I cannot find my sound with analog speaker seam. For live usage, Yes, they do work with a bit of EQing and in the mix. Yeah, that works. For studio work or even home studio, yeah, I, I, just not my thing. And I believe my customers are the same way. Sure. So, so the load box is two things. <clears throat> so it's the electrical device I was talking about that makes the amp think that it's connected to a cabinet so it doesn't fry. And, that's, and it's also the speaker response. And it's actually those two things together that is uh, what we call a digital load box uh, uh, because we use digital uh, uh, speaker seam algorithm uh, and there are many different designs. But uh, you need to understand it's always an analog part, which is the load box. And for, in our case, a digital part, which is the IR, 
so we, we developed a slightly different technology than IR, but let's say IR technology that takes care of how the speaker sounds, mm -hmm. while the load box takes care of not frying the amp. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, and that's the two of those together that are the product that I designed. Okay, so that leads me to my next question. What's the difference between a reactive load and just a normal load? Because I, I realize there's two different ones. Yeah, um, there are two different designs. Um, the resistive load, so so it the name comes from what's actually inside the box, the parts. Okay. And there are different ways to model a cabinet. Um, the resist, resistive uh, model is a very simple one. It says, for example, the cabinet has an impedance. Impedance means that its resistance is not the same across the whole spectrum. From okay. 10 to 20,000 hertz, the, the resistance of the cabinet will actually change. That's the okay. impedance. And that curve is complex. A resistor is dumb. It's flat. So a resistor will tell you it's 8 ohm, it's 8. Okay. Actually, when your cabinet says it's 8, it's actually 8 somewhere in the impedance curve, usually around a kilohertz or 700. It's a, there is no norm about that. Some okay. some manufacturers will use 700, some others 1 kilohertz. It, it, it totally depends. I've never, to be honest, I've never, I should ask Celestion again, I've never <laughs> figured out what, why exactly they would use one or another, uh, if it's an average measure or whatever. But anyway... Um, the, 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 the impedance curve is complex and a, re a reactive load uses more parts to try to replicate the shape of that impedance. The result of that is when an amp sees something that's just flat, especially a tube amp, a solid state amp probably won't care too much. But uh, 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 um, yeah, I would have to go into very, very deep detail. But let's say the, the solid state doesn't care too much. The tube amp on the other hand, reacts a lot depending on the type of impedance you plug to it. Uh, uh, and there are many reasons for that, but that's very, very technical. But I'll be happy to answer questions on YouTube later. But to make it simple, a, a reactive load box will get closer to how a real cabinet reacts. Uh -huh. And that's why that's a design we favor in our product, just because it sounds more like the real thing that a, that a resistive one. Huh. Cool. So the other part of the question that I get asked a lot is, what the hell is a speaker IR? And I'm going to say that before you answer that, that I'm very fond of using speaker IRs because you mentioned analog emulations of speakers and mm. they don't sound so good. If anyone's ever seen Glenn Fricker's video on the, the Mesa cab club. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That's gold. <laughs> that is gold. <laughs> so, I, th I think I love Glenn. It's not very fair to 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 that product, uh, and I love Glenn. And I think, but uh, well, we, we I can address that. But uh, okay, can, I can answer house. you. I understand your question. Yeah. Um, but just just to address the the, the analog speaker part, um, uh, Glenn has been using uh, IRs for a long time, and he was one of the early adapters of that kind of technology. I'm, I'm very happy, and he's a good friend now. But when he started his channel, he, he asked me for some products, and I believed in what he was doing because it's fun yep. and, uh, and and technically accurate. 
most of the time. Uh, so so it's, it's, it, I was very happy to, to, to help him with what he needed. And, and he's been an early adapter of that. And when, you, when you've been into that type of technology, going back to analog can be disappointing. But like I said, I think it depends on the context. Mr. Boogie didn't really want to design a, a, a studio thing. Their aim was more towards uh, um, uh, live playing. And in a live situation, I, the analog stuff can work. And I know guitarists who actually prefer analog. Uh, take Devin Townsend, for example. He, yep. he likes to have his analogs because he can go to, these, to his monitors because it doesn't sound like a miking. It has a lot more presence. It's kind of weird sounding, but it can hear himself playing very well. Cool. And I tell you what. I can do the same with digital, right? I can't, I can't. We, can, we actually have models of analog speaker sim in our library. So if someone wants to do, to do yeah, 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 why not? Why not model yeah. modelers, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, uh, but it's simple. That's the thing with analog speakers. You plug, you have not too many options, you get a result and it works. I think the limits come when you want to record a song, when you want to hear them with headphones. They are not great at that. Uh, that's where a digital processing can actually capture more than just the speaker. Uh -huh. So to explain to you the, the IR, and the, I think it's important to understand the, how we create them. So the, the IR is a filter. It's actually uh, uh, the, the, um, a representation of a system and the system is not just the cabinet, it's actually the cabinet, probably the power amp that we use to push the test signal through the cabinet. So let's say lab power amp, cabinet, the mic, the room, the mic preamp, and the sound card, because that's all the stuff we need to capture an IR. And an IR will capture all of that at once. Uh -huh. The good thing about it is well, you have all of it at once, and it's simple to do an IR, unlike doing analog modeling or digital speaker modeling like other companies do, uh, where you need to understand how the speaker works, the mechanics of it. Uh, it's very complex. In our case, making an IR is kind of stupid. It's very simple. Anybody can do that. We provide a software so you can do it at home. It is very simple. Really? Um, yeah, and you don't have to know what's in the cabinet how the mic sounds. You just put them together, click on a button, and you got it. Um, uh, so the good thing is it's simple to do. The bad thing is uh, uh, once you got it, it's static. You can't change anything. If you don't like the room, the room is cooked in there. If you don't like the mic preamp or the mic position, it's in there. You can't remove or change any of those parameters. They are all captures at once, and there is no way around that. Um, so, so it's, it's just a, a simple technology that's brilliantly effective and it's not new. I mean, uh, I didn't invent that. It's been used. I mean, the theory of it is like a hundred years old, uh, the, and the applications were, I mean, you, you don't know, but, uh, noise canceling on your headphones, yep. the one you use in, in, in a plane. That's also the same type of technology, okay. um, except in, in, instead of trying to replicate the environment, they actually in, inverse the polarity of that environment to cancel noise. 
and uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But that's the that's the the, the root of it. And that technology has been out there for many years. It's just that it's very CPU intensive. So it's a simple technology, kind of dumb, but it takes, but it works great, and it takes a ton of CPU to work properly. And uh, there is one parameter that's important to take into account. It's the length of the IR. Uh, the length of the IR will, will determine two things. It will tell you how much reverb of the room you will get. Uh -huh. So the longer it is, the more reverb you got. And also the longer it is, the more low you can go into the low end in terms of being accurate in replicating, replicating those frequencies. Okay. Uh, um, so, of course, everybody would tell me, well, let's take 10 seconds, right? So, and be done with it. Well, there is no computer on earth right now able to compute in real time, like with two milliseconds, 10 seconds of, of IR. And uh, uh, so we had to make choices 10 years ago, 12, 12 years or 15 years ago when I started actually, like 2005, uh, we had to make choices to actually make them work on, on a DSP, a processor, dedicated processor, signal processor. We had to shorten them and as time passes and CPU becoming more and more powerful, we are able to extend that length. Um, is it needed to have very long ones? There are debates about that. Um, I think that anything starting at 20 milliseconds is good. That's our standard we've been using for years. 20 is good. It's not amazing in the low end, but to be honest, if you're a guitarist and you've ever mixed either live or in a recording, everybody knows that anything below 100 hertz needs to be cut anyway. So, yeah. so uh, um, and even probably higher than that. So, so uh, but when you play, some people feel there is something that's lacking. You need to have like amazing monitors or headphones to be able to hear, to hear what's going on below like 50 or 40 hertz. Um, and, and right now our standard is between 40 and 200, depending on the product. And 200 is very good. Uh, I think anything over that is just room reverb. Uh, you may or may not want the room reverb. It's a matter of taste. We, we took a different approach. Uh, we don't, I don't like too much the room reverb because like I said, I can't remove it, right? Yeah. It's there. Mm -hmm. uh, so the only way to remove it is to actually shorten the, the, the IR. Um, I'd rather use a reverb that I can tweak on top of the IR rather than having it cooked in the IR. But to be honest, it's a, it's a matter of taste. It's a matter of how you want to manage your CPU load. And I prefer to offer a little bit more options rather than putting the whole processing in just processing an IR. So in our case, in our products, it's not just an IR loader or just the technology that we call dynamic uh, IR because it's not just one static one mic, one cab. You can move the mic in the room. You can pick different microphones. Uh, so the choice I, I said earlier, you were stuck stuck with. In our system, you're not. You can actually change the, the mic position. And it's a lot of work to make it sound good. Um, and all of that, uh, I'd rather spend a little bit more CPU in providing more creative options rather than having the whole CPU just to do one stupid dumb IR, but it's um, again, it's uh, it's uh, it's how I see the work of the sound engineer yeah. or guitarists want to act as a sound engineer. Uh, some people just prefer dumping a file, 
and it's it's possible to do with my stuff as well. I think it's if you have a little bit of studio experience, you know the job is not finished by just throwing a mic at the in the front of a cap. That's not the that's not the job. That's just a part of it. So you you mentioned uh, being able to move uh, the virtual mics around and stuff. So I have been using your IR uh, plugin in Pro Tools for a while now, and it's called the Wall of Sound plugin. Um, and that is something that no other uh, plugin that I, that I've tried for IRs gave me the ability to do was actually move it around and see visually what I was doing, swap different microphones around, things like that. And that's my first step before I even reach for an EQ. Uh, if I've recorded through a load box, I'm trying different cabinets, different microphones first before I start messing with phase through EQ because EQ basically is messing with the phase, right? Um, yeah. So I try and get it right at the source by going through all the different cabs. And you've got a hell of, hell of a lot of options when it comes to different <laughs> cabs. And they, they do all sound different. Yeah, they all have a different characteristic about them. Uh, uh, so far, I, my I, favorite I ones, what? my favorite ones by far are the yeah. Rev cabinets. Out of the okay. collection, yeah. For some reason, um, I WGS don't know. WGS some... speakers, sorry, very good speakers. Very good. Speakers. They use WGS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very good. Um, okay, I will. Uh, in terms of workflow, yep. I think you're doing the right thing, because that's how we do it in the real world. What we do in the real world is, all right, we have a guitar to record. Uh, usually the guitarist will have a very specific taste in, in terms of guitar, FX, amp. But when it comes to the cabinet, sometimes it's like, yeah, let's use whatever we have <laughs> and try to make it work. Uh, so usually when you go to a studio, how many cabinets do they have in backline? Two, three, four, five? Probably not 20, definitely not 300, right? Yep. So. And nobody would take the time to try several cabinets. And it's funny because I realized that when I started the project, most people, including myself, didn't have a very good experience with trying out 20 different cabinets on the same amp. Not, nobody did that. Like, nobody. In 2005, you would buy the amp and whatever cabinet they, were, they had at the store, probably the cabinet that was designed for the amp, right? Yep. And And... and who would have tried a Mesabugi Dual Recto with a 1x12 Fender? Nobody, right? Yep. Because it makes no sense. Well, I'll tell you what, when you use our stuff and you start using your ears instead of using your eyes to pick the products, you will, you will find out, and I, I guess you did, you would find out that uh, uh, you make some very weird choices based on how it sounds. Weird in terms of, Nobody would use a Fender vintage cabinet with a Mesa Dual rectifier to get metal tones. The thing is, an open back 1x12 can do wonders, even 1x10 can do wonders on a lead tone. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the stuff that studio guys know. That's the stuff that, that uh, 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 guitarists with studio experience, and if they had time to try, know as well. But most guitarists, and again, including me when I started the project, I, I didn't have that experience. One of the things I, I found out is we probably have like, I don't know, 50 different cabinets with V30s in it. Okay, V30s from solutions are very, very popular yep. uh, still to this date. Uh, there is, they, they, you will not find two cabinets that sound the same, even with the same cabinet. 
because the sound of it is not just the speaker. It's the speaker, it's the cabinet around it, it's the room, it's the mic, it's the mic preamp. Yep. If you if you take all those things separately, you just don't really understand how the whole thing works. And to me, providing those options, so I know some guitarists or bassists, because we work with bassists as well, uh, find that it's just too many options and they'd rather uh, use whatever they used to use. And many of them would just buy the cabinet that they have at home. So they find it in our library and use it. And very often they, they contact me saying, it doesn't sound like my stuff. I'm like, that's because it's a different one. That's not yours. Yeah. It was built 30 years ago. And you know what? Quality control in terms of cabinets, nobody will, no builder can tell you my cabinets from 30, from 30 years ago sounds exactly the same as that one today. It's impossible. Nice. It's just, that, that will never happen. And, and, so, uh, and so that's a cabinet. Then you have the mic. Nobody has the same SM57 I have in my studio. They, ha they don't sound the same. That's right. Nobody has the same preamp or the same room. Yeah. And, and for the room, it's funny because uh, when I started the project, uh, we were doing our first recording in my rehearsal room, which was like uh, fully carpeted and very like dark sounding, which was good for rehearsal because I was playing metal, and it's a pretty noisy music, so, so having everything like very damp was great. But uh, 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 when we did recording, including, including close miking, the fact that the room was acting like a low pass, like a very strong low pass on the signal, sounded weird every time we did the uh, capture there. And as soon as I built my own room, which was more live, so brighter sounding, it suddenly it was more open and better using the same mic, same preamp, same, same cabinet, and even in closed miking. So I, I found out pretty soon that all those parameters matter. And if you think there is something I tell often to guitarists, if you think you should spend hours finding out the best sound you get from your strings or from your pick or from your guitar cable, I think you're not spending the time on, at the right place. Mm. <laughs> I think you should spend the time on the miking, the, the cabinet selection, because this, moving an inch away from the axis of the speaker, will do way more than any cable in the world. Absolutely. And, every, and if you have a little bit of experience with miking, I think everybody will agree with me, uh, having a little bit of experience with miking will tell you that you can spend... 30 years picking the perfect cable, blah, blah, blah. You go on stage, you have uh, a sound engineer, or you don't have a sound engineer, just use whatever they have. At the venue, whatever you pick before is just dead. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, the, the guy who would decide how you sound is the sound engineer. It's not your guitar or whatever. That's how it is. Uh, mate, you mentioned um, that you're into the metal. I, I, I do see that there's a lot of metal guys using your your products, um, do you sort of get a, you know, a bit chuffed at that and go, well, hey, that's testament using my gear up there right now. You know? and <laughs> do you have those moments? Uh, okay. Um, I've never, it wasn't ever a strategy to address the middle market. I think it just happened for, for probably two reasons. One, I have a network and I, I had, when I started, a pretty good network in middle. Uh, so, yes, friends just contacted yeah. me. Yeah. But more imp importantly than that, um, I think the, 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 the real reason is 
the effect of the speaker sound, marking and everything can be heard better if you have a more or fuller tone. And the, 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 the more distortion you have in your tone, the more you will hear the effect of the speaker. So for example, if you're a bass player playing like very clean, uh, 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 very like never any kind of distortion or whatever, clean bass, you can try uh, 20 different speakers. If your bass sound sounds like a sinus, you can change the speaker, it won't make a change in your tone, really. Like yeah. that, that's a reality. Yeah. Of course, the bass, the sound of a bass is never a sinus. Uh, uh, it's all, I mean, hopefully it's not, it's, it's a little bit less boring than that. Yeah. Uh, and, and guitarists with like very heavy tones, lots of distortion, again, moving the mic just a little makes a whole world of difference. Doesn't it? So, uh, you know, I, uh, I spoke to uh, a guitarist that I really admire a couple of days ago from a band called Roast Tattoo. I don't know, I'm not sure if you guys... Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. the band. I don't so, know him, but I know the band. Yeah, yeah. So I, I spoke to Bob Spencer, and he was also in a group called The Angels in the '80s, which uh, around the time I was learning to play guitar, were everywhere mm. and huge, huge band. Now he mentioned that with The Angels uh, on the recordings that I pretty much learned to play guitar to, he was using an eight-inch cabinet because that just sat in the mix right, and he had Terry Manning, who you know has produced a lot of big albums over the years, that got him using that like we were saying, trying to get the sound to sit in the mix before you do anything else because the speaker is that final filter. And uh, I found that very surprising. I thought, yeah, maybe a 10-inch or something. We said 8-inch. It was like, wow. Because, again, as you mentioned, a lot of the time you're rolling out all those, all that low end. You, you said about 100 hertz, yeah. I, I, I yeah, sometimes I mean, got but... 120, sometimes down to 80. yeah. No, it, it totally depends on the type of music. So I can't say 100 is the magic number. There is no magic. Honestly, there is no magic number. If anybody tries to sell you that, that's that's snake oil. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is no magic number. The magic number is actually understanding how you want to have the bass in the mix. Yep. And the bass decides where you put the guitar. The bass and bass drums, that they are the, they are, I mean, that's the rhythmic section. So yep. they decide that's the, the bones and, and then you put the muscle with the guitars. But first you need the bones. And uh, I mean, at least that's how I work. Uh, um, so depending on how you want the bass to go higher or lower, if you want to bury the bass into the mix or if you want the bass to be more present, that's where you put the, the, the low cut on the guitar. Uh -huh. But I can, so I've, I've went as high as 250 sometimes yep. because it was very heavy, very heavy mix. Yep. I want the guitar, guitar was standard tuning. So I could actually cut a lot in the low end. There is no, there's no rule. <laughs> That's right. You know, when I'm actually setting my high pass uh, point, I'm not listening to the guitar. I'm listening to the bass guitar. And then yeah. when I, when I get high enough and that clarity's there and, and it sort of starts to pop through, I know I've pulled out the interfering frequencies which uh, yeah. I never hear anybody talking about that, but that's how I set my high and low pass filters. Um, I'm not listening to that instrument. I'm listening to the other instruments and how it affects those. Which, yeah, well, I mean, we, we've all, so, so we mentioned metal. If you listen to metal from the 90s, especially when uh, you had so many high gain amps coming in the market and uh, uh, guitarists could play with insane level of distortion. Uh, uh, if you listen to the very first, let's say, Pantera albums or, or Metallica albums from late 80s, there is no bass. Mm. Like, where is the bass? Yeah. Well, there's no room <laughs> the for it. Is there? like, wow, there's no room for it. It's a wall guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and there's no bass in the mix. And uh, I think today we've learned 
uh, how to make all of that more efficient and work better up to a point where in some bands like uh, Meshuga, the bass is actually the most of what you hear when you hear the album. And the guitar is just a little bit of noise on top of that. I'm, yeah. I mean, of course, I'm joking. It's a little bit better than that. But yeah. when you listen to tracks, to stems from Meshuga, you will hear that the guitar is not going very low at all. And it's eight strings, but still, it's not going very low just because the bass is just massive. And and, and they have, I mean, and, and that's aesthetics, right? That's their decision, their mixed decisions to do it like that. If you listen to Korn, yeah. I remember in the 90s, one of the very interesting mixed decisions of Korn is to have that bass so high in frequency in the mix. Like the, that, it's like you're that playing kick. with a, a coin, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> and that was awesome. It was so fresh, so new, yep. and so weird. And, and that's the sound signature. They can't get out of that. They can't sound tomorrow like Periphery or, or those modern sounding bands, which are great. But if, if Korn comes up with a sound like that, nobody would, who's, who's that band? Mm. And, and those mixed decisions or, or let's say the early um, uh, system of a down, the mix is very, very special. Uh, I think today, if, if I had just uh, a concern about today's mix, it, it's, it, t- it tends to be a little bit too much of the same. Like everybody's using the same tricks and products and uh, it sounds often great, but I'm, I have a hard time getting surprised by a, n- a new mix. And probably that's just me. Maybe I don't listen to the right music. I don't know. But, uh, I'm but the same. I'm I like the same. when it's a weird mix. Yeah, yeah. I actually <laughs> forgot about being a guitar player for a long time because it all got very stale for a while. And I know mm. like uh, maybe mid to late 90s and everyone started going, oh, you Sepultura, Deftones. I was listening to electronic music because that was mm. that was uh, pulling my ear towards it more, um, and I learned a lot. A, a lot of the the music around that time what, that was heavy was too nice. Mm. There was a formula, and and it was it was no danger. I was listening to like Aphex Twin. I mean, mm-hmm. Holy hell, you know that come to daddy is there anything more abrasive than that you know that is just that's scary that sound it made the others sort of sound nice and i went back and i revisited that music a few few years later um but but you know there is a lot of influence i mean uh uh on the electronic uh movement especially the the let's say the hardcore underground movement from the late 90s or mid to late 90s a lot of those guys were listening to metal a lot of them and especially hardcore electronic music, uh, the first guys uh, uh, doing it were uh, from the Netherlands and and France a lot as well. Were actually using uh, uh, guitar amps to run their electronic sounds through them yep. to get that kind of very warm distortion they couldn't get from from their electronic devices. Yep. And uh, and uh, I, I know for a fact that a lot of the hardcore movement comes from actually guys who listen to metal. And just wanted to have a different approach of uh, electronic music. Yep. And uh, uh, there is no, I, I think there is, to me, the good musicians listen to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you get stuck in a style, you can't evolve, you can't bring in anything new. And you need to probably step out of what you usually listen to, yep. to get fresh ideas. And it's the mix of that that creates new music. Uh, it's probably... I'm probably kicking an open door right now, but 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 I, I really believe in that. And when people ask me what I'm listening listening to, you you, you were saying I, uh, I played metal for many years. Today I don't listen 
to a lot of middle. I, I listen to what my friends and customers send me, of course. Uh, uh, but I, I will. I like the weird stuff, like yeah. weird prog, uh, crossover, electronic metal, genty, whatever. Yeah. I try to find what's the next, what's the next style coming up, or try to. And I'm always interested in being, uh, in, in probably being deranged in what I think how the music should, uh, sorry, I can't make a, a proper sentence, but the, the, there is always, uh, uh, your brain works the way that you get used to stuff and you're comfortable in some stuff and in a way you listen to music. And suddenly there is something new that forces your brain to reconfigure. And uh, I think it's important to listen to new stuff so you keep practicing this uh, and that's a way to stay open to new style of music. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm always sad little bit sad when people tell me well nothing there was nothing new happening since Led Zeppelin I'm like oh, really I mean where were you the past 40 years I mean and and, and every day I hear people saying yeah there's nothing good good coming over in metal or electronic music whatever it's all, all of the same it, it is a little bit but you have to to actually be proactive and to scout for new stuff and try to stay open and try to keep your ears uh, alert and open to new stuff and I'm lucky to work with a ton of artists and some of them are very very uh, uh, innovative artists and that's the guy I usually communicate the most with because I, I try to understand what they want to say yeah. I usually don't I'm like what's that what, what are you trying to say and it needs work to get to their music and that's yeah, I, I, I like weird stuff I think I could sum it up like that Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta say the freshest artist that I've heard in it's getting on a bit now and, and a lot of my guitar player friends are going to kill me for saying this but Skrillex when he came along and Noisier was another group I'm not sure if you're aware of them they're, they're from, yeah. from uh, yeah, you know Noisier they're very similar mm. and when you talk about running synthesizers through um, amplifiers and stuff it just adds that grain there's just mm. th there's a grain and about it that just can't be replicated, I think, by modeling technology when it comes to the preamps and things. It's damn close. It's very close, very close. But yeah. it's that grain that that that's the the, the distinguishing thing. Um, oh, and I'll give you an example because if you if you talk about dubstep, uh, it's funny to see how a style that comes from reggae, kinda right, ska, that evolved into. Uh, uh, the very early dubstep, and then to that massive <laughs> avalanche of noise that is yeah. today. Uh, 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 and uh, early on, you could see some some bands trying to mix dubstep and metal. And suddenly, I'm talking about like six, seven years ago. Yep. Uh, uh, and and suddenly you have Corn releasing a kind of a mix mm. fusion dubstep middle thing. You have uh, a lot of bands trying to branch out to to that style. And um, and it's, I th of course, the fans usually get angry <laughs> because yeah. they uh, they have a they have a very contradictory attitude towards the music they love. Too different. <laughs> exactly, they want something new, but they want it to be the same. Yeah. And, and I'm like that too. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying I'm better. Uh, when I I'm listening to a new, I've been listening to Metallica or Sepultura. That's where I come from. And I love those bands, and I'm lucky to work with some of those guys. Like the first, I have to tell you this: the, the one of the very first artists who contacted me to get my first product was uh, Richard Kruspe from Ramstein. I was like sitting at the bar, just watching on my phone, like you would do in 2008, right? Yeah. 
Christmas 2008. It's just like, okay, all right. So, so that's the, that kind of moment you were asking to me about the the other time. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think the the, um, the as as a fan, I want them to release the same kind of stuff that I loved from '86, right? Yep. <laughs> I love Master of Puppet. Let's do another Master of Puppet. But they can't do that. I mean, they don't want to. They shouldn't, as artists, they shouldn't have to do the same stuff over and over. Yeah. So it's uh, it's always the thing when you had a hit like an album that was crazy successful to come with a, a following album that's as good. It's nearly impossible. Let's be honest. Yeah. It's it's nearly impossible because the surprise that everybody got the first time will never happen again. And uh, and some of them can recycle and offer new stuff or try to do. And uh, and it's I have the like I'm I'm not an artist and uh, and I don't have that thing. Uh, but uh, I love it when a band is able to say, okay, fuck it. I'm 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 just. I'm not supposed to swear, right? But so, so yeah. I'm. I'm <laughs> let's do. Let's do something new, and let's pray for the fan to love it, or let's get some new, or get up to to some a new audience. And uh, I love when I love bold bold moves, and it's risky, but. Yeah, you're an artist. You're supposed to take risks. Absolutely. <laughs> Guillaume, before I, uh, I, I start to pick your brains about the history and your products line, um, there's one more facet of things that you do, and that's reamping. And mm-hmm. some of the viewers might not be sure about what reamping is all about. Can you give us a, a brief rundown on what reamping is all about? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we do have product that help with that. Um, reamping is about recording the dry signal from your guitar. So let's imagine you plug the guitar into your sound card, uh, audio interface. Uh, you do that using what we call a DI. Most sound card nowadays will have a DI in. Most mixers probably not. So you need to have a DI bot or uh, a, a, an audio interface with a DI input. DI means direct injection. It's instrument input. Uh, so you plug the guitar, you record that straight guitar sound which is usually not great, let's be honest. I mean, unless you, you play uh, 70s funk and they used to record like that, like plugging the guitar direct, that gives them kind of weird sound yeah. So that you may like. So sure, but if you don't play that, uh, probably you won't like it. Uh, so let's record that dry sound. And later on, send that back from the DAW back to your amp, cabinet, mic, and then you record this. The reason why people do that is uh, they don't want to take the decision the day the guitarist records or bassist records. They don't want to take the, the, the creative decision of we're using that amp, we're using that speaker with that mic, and uh, that's it. And then we try to make the best out of it. It's, it's a different workflow where you record the guitar one day and later on you have the time, you're not in a rush, to pick the right amp, to pick the right cabin mic combination and do the, a proper miking. It's, it, and I've seen that happen in a studio more and more uh, because, well, uh, uh, studio, studio time is expensive. And uh, most people don't want to spend money or don't have money to spend on finding the right system or the right cabinet or whatever. So let's spend the time on actually making music, record it as fast as possible, as good as possible, and then the sound engineer or the the who's ever in charge of that create creative director manager whatever uh, take the decision later on without the band or with the band sitting in the room 
okay, let's try different options. But uh, the, the, I think what's interesting in that way to work is that it's hard to hear the tone while you play. Mm, mm. Uh, to, to hear it the way it will be in the recording, I mean. Yep. So the guitarist plays and we separate the feeling from the actual sound uh, on the album. It can be good, it can be bad, it's a matter of creative decision. Uh, but, but I see more and more bands doing that, like let's do the, the creative instrument part of it first and then let's take the, the audio decisions or the sound tone decisions later. Uh, for example, when we have the, the, the drums, when we have the bass, when we have everything, keyboards, whatever you have in your mix, let's have them all and take the tone decision for the guitar at that day. Yeah. Um, it's just a, a different way, way to work. Um, and we have a product called Torpedo Reload that lets you record uh, the DI and at the same time, get the DI back into your amp and cabinet and do either a silent miking with our plugin or a regular miking with the reload acting as an attenuator. So you can have the sound level you want to do your miking. You can capture a dry signal from the amp and use our plugin, What of Sound. Uh, reload is kind of a, uh, 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 it's the middle of your system when you want to do, let's say, modern recording. Okay. Reamp, DI, attenuated recording. It's a, it's, it's a great tool to do that. And uh, I, I know that there are many tutorials on how to do it. You can find that online. You can find papers explaining how to route the signal. It's not easy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't find it very complicated, but that's the type of question I get every week. Sure. So we have tutorial for Torpedo Reload and there are plenty of tutorial online, but still I know it's kind of uh, uh, complicated for me, many guitarists to understand how to route in their DAO outputs that are not the one, two main out. They need to use other outputs to go yeah. back to the amp and then back into the DAO and create a digital loop. All of that is a little bit obscure to to guitar, especially guitarists and basses. I mean, people, it's a different job to be able to play the guitar very well, which I'm not a very good guitarist, but I know how to root the signal in the DAO. And it's a, uh, guitarists need to learn that, basses yeah. as well. Yeah. But yeah, you should do a tutorial about that. I can I, help I you. I think I should. I think I should. I did try and go down the road of, of using reamping. Um, and reamping is very similar to what we were talking about in using speaker IRs really, isn't it? But instead of you choosing your cabinets later, you're choosing your amp later, essentially, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I had a lot of trouble when I was doing it because I had uh, a box that I wasn't sure how loud I was supposed to be recording the signal and how loud I was supposed to be spitting it back yeah. out, out of my door and, and everything. And yeah, that whole level matching thing, I was like, is that how hard I'm supposed to be, that that amp wants to see that? Does, uh, does your reload automatically level match? So that, that's one of the big things I've, I've, I've worked on. I think the, what we call gain staging uh, in the recording is very important. Hmm. And it's natural to me because I learned all the techniques 25 years ago. So yep. it comes naturally to me to set up all of that properly. But it's funny you mentioned that because we are in the middle of a beta test with... Uh, with uh, a new firmware for the Torpedo Cab M that we call Cab M Plus. And I realized that people have no clue how mm. to set up the levels and the gain and they mix volume and gain and they think, they think it's the same. And 
And I'm like, oh, guys, like there, there is a zillion article guitar magazine about that or, or studio recording about that. It's probably the, the most boring, overused uh, <laughs> topic. But you know what? You have to keep explaining about that. So to, to answer you about that gain staging thing, yes, in the reload, we have one key function that I think we are the only ones offering today. And maybe I will just create just a DI box, a DI REM box with that function that we call match. You're right that when you set the level to go into the DAW and back into the amp, you lose the direct connection to the amp. When you plug the guitar into the amp, you don't have to, to think about how loud the guitar goes in, right? It just, yep. that's how the guitar is designed. That's actually the pickup impedance and level and how close the pickup is from the strings. But that's all you can play with. Well, as, as, as soon as you put the DAW in the middle of this, you lose that direct connection. I don't know. So what, what we have, we have a function that's called match. It's not automated. It needs you. Uh, um, so match will compare the signal coming from the guitar and the signal coming back from the DAW and with a knob and with some lights, you will make sure they are the same. And when the light is green, you know you are sending the same signal to the amp. Cool, cool. But the, 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 and it's, I mean, the, the tricky thing about uh, uh, reamping. There are several ones that are a bit hard to comprehend for for most guitarists and basses. Um, a, a sound card has a certain noise level. If you have a very good one, it can be let's say 90 dBs, right, or, or 100. They will say it's 120, but that's not the truth. So most of them can go down to 100. The very, 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 very good one. Let's say, let's say the average one. Uh, have one like an, an expensive one on my desk right now that's great probably can go around minus 70 dB in terms of noise the thing is in your high gain uh, at rev or mesa or whatever Randall high gain amp you have you will have easily 60 dBs of gain so what happens when you bring that noise from the sound card it's there it's cooked in the sound card you can't remove it you bring that 70 dBs of noise and you put 60 dBs of gain on top of it well, guess what? Your noise and your guitar are now fighting. Yeah. And there is nowhere on that. So you need to, you need to actually set the, the level on the sound card to maximize the signal-to-noise ratio to make sure that even if you put a ton of gain on that signal coming back from the DAW, you still have a decent signal you can work with. But you can expect more noise than with just the guitar into the amp. And, and th th that concept, and I probably should make a video about that at some point but that that whole concept of gain staging how to improve the signal to noise ratio to get a good result uh, and it's not it doesn't really matter if you play like clean tones and jazz blues whatever but as soon as you go into more heavier music all those noise will actually add up mm. and and even your environment actually a reamp system is like an antenna it will try to grab any noise you have in your environment if you stuck the box next to your monitors uh, I mean display studio monitors or anything that can just just spread a little bit of garbage electromagnetic garbage it will just gobble up <laughs> so so it's 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 a real challenge reamping is not easy first you need to understand the layout yep. and routing second you need to understand how to hunt down noises and I tell you what even expert and studio owners and very famous name I've helped many people try, trying to get rid of those. I, I, 
I don't always succeed. Sometimes it's just there. Like I, I used to have my demo room in, in the Two Notes office like years ago. The demo room was actually had a telephone switcher, like a huge telephone switcher for a whole street stuck to my wall. You know what? It was impossible to use single chord guitar in that room. Impossible. Really? Just because that switcher was radiating, it was fast switching. So it's just spreading electronic garbage everywhere in the room. And you could you could actually play with the guitar, actually making sound, doing depending on how, how you put the guitar. It was just oh so awful. And the only way to fix that, setting the stuff on fire. I decided to move to another <laughs> office. But there's no, if your if your environment is bad and if you have that kind of situation or very bad electricity or very bad whatever or, or fridge on your line doing bad switching or whatever, there's nothing I can do. You need to have a clean power supply. You need to understand that your LED light is bad and it's like in, in the tuna studio, I had to go back to halogens uh, uh, bulb insert, instead of, of LED for one of our lightning because for whatever reason, it was acting like an antenna and, and spreading uh, the switching from the LED in the air and we couldn't work. So we had to, and, and there was nothing we could do apart from changing maybe the, 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 the light we had. I just revert back to halogen stuff uh, and it was fixed instantly. Yep. So it's, 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 it's a very complicated matter and studio designers, the guy who build studio, Yep. I know way more than I do, and I tell you what, that's a huge part of the studio design, trying to hunt uh, harms and noises, especially when you have like miles of cables yeah. through the through the, the ground. Yep. So anyway, uh, probably I should do uh, some video about that at some point. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Man, you've got such a knowledge on this. I'm glad I'm asking you these questions. Now, you mentioned 2005. Is that when you started Two Notes, or is that when you started messing with this stuff? <laughs> So um, I, I finished my PhD. I was in a different field. I was in uh, optics and telecommunication. That's that's my major. Okay. Uh, uh, and I finished it in 2005, and I wasn't so sure I wanted to continue in that in that field. And I just got an opportunity to start my business. I didn't have any money, but some someone believed in me, and uh, I could I could start I could, I could start something. Uh, a very humble operation, but yep. I could start it. Um, and uh, yes, I started like uh, 2005, 2006, we had the first uh, running prototype and it took us two years to, or more than actually nearly three years to have a proper industrial product that we could sell. Uh, it took us a lot of time because I was learning as I was doing it. I'm not from that industry. I don't have a daddy who's, who's in that industry. So, and I had no industry mentor or whatever to help me go through that process. So I just, I was like, I was just dumb and young, and I believed that I could do it by myself, yep. which I did with a lot of blood and tears <laughs> and, and, and uh, spending a lot of money I didn't have. But, I mean, trying and trying and trying, and, and, and at some point it just worked, and I, and I realized that the concept I had in mind, especially for my use at first, which was I want to record at home with my amp. I don't want to use mothers. That was simple. Mothers in 2005, not good. Software or hardware, yeah, I mean, today is different. Today we have very good monitors, but yeah, 15 years ago, garbage. Like, honestly, I mean, you couldn't really work with that. Even if uh, so many amazing records were made using those monitors, but I, I wanted something simple. 
I love my amp. I used to play an angle amp at the time. I just wanted to plug my amp into my computer. That's it. That was my request. Yep. And I couldn't find anything that would work properly. So I built it. And uh, I figured out that I wasn't the only one with that need. Yeah. And I just decided that, yeah, maybe there is a market. And the answer to that thing was no. <laughs> so I had to create that market. Yep. And I spent the next 10 years explaining what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's only now that we have more competition, like big, uh, uh, well, like b- big companies actually going into my tiny market uh, that people start to understand that, oh, you can play an app like that. Or I can have finally a proper headphones out on my very nice Marshall, Orange, whatever, uh, vintage amp uh, that I can't play at home. So I have a solution now. And uh, yeah, the, the market, I had to create that market yep. that only experts were using like the analog look boxes, like only touring artists knew about those products. Uh, very few people at home knew about them. I actually didn't. I discovered them when I started digging and trying to find how to remove the speaker part of my sound. Uh, I found out they existed, but when I went to some of my competition now, like Palmer, or they, they, they had a few products, but no store would, would stock them. It was only like custom order, or, or it was you had to wait for months to get one, just because it was only like big touring bands or studio, TV studios, radio studios who would buy them. And it was a few hundred units a year worldwide. While today, I can tell you that, we have probably more than 10,000 10, users using our hardware solutions wow. now. And, uh, and my competition, which is big name today, probably have a lot too. So it's, it's just that it took a lot of time to explain the concept. And I still do it. I still have to explain. But uh, when they get it, guitarist or bassist, and they understand that they finally can use their amp with a sound that works, that's good. That's awesome. And, and, and that helps helps them or motivates them to play, which is very important. Uh, they can get that now with, for example, my latest product, the Captor X. That's a very good product design to go on top of an amp, plug headphones, boom, instant gratification, awesome to play. That's what I want to do. Yeah. I'm very excited about the Captor X. Now, this all sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. I, I spoke to Thomas Blue last week and um, I, I said to him, uh, we have a, a saying in English, um, necessity is the mother of invention and he said that's my motto and it was just exactly like you said he needed something that he thought was a no-brainer hey why isn't somebody making this and and he went down that road so it sounds like a a very similar story for you huh well i i mean especially as what well, thomas had a lot more experience that i that i did like thomas has a very long I mean, experienced in the industry at user Gatner and other companies, like big companies where he could actually learn the process and how to do that. So he came up with a product that I was very impressed when he released it. We, we started our business pretty much at the same time, like early 2008. And he, he came to the market with the Blue Guitar One, the, the, the first version. Uh, almost at the same time, I came up with a Torpedo VB101. Okay. And well, I, I remember I, I met him some time after that, uh, I was very impressed with the design. I didn't know how to do that. Like the design, the, the, the mechanical design was just like, it looks awesome. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. I, I come from compute computers, right? Yep. I'm, I'm not a, 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 a designer in terms of, 
I'm, I'm not a good at drawing or whatever. Uh, that's not my forte. And he's very good at that. And he, I was always impressed with his design. I can say hi to him just in case yeah. he watches us. Is is one of the nicest guys in the industry. Everybody says that. And he is. He is. Everyone yes. that I've mentioned to him, they all say, man, he's just one of the nicest guys in the industry. And he totally is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, I'm... I'm 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 sorry that that's one of the guy I miss by not going into trade shows because of yeah you know what but uh, I I know that the next one we do together we'll have a beer <laughs> yeah yeah so you mentioned the Captor X and uh, that's something that I saw that you had was coming out um, and that had me very excited um, what is the difference in the Captor X to your other Captor range. Okay, so um, uh, we released the captor, what we call the analog captor, the black captor, yep. uh, two years ago, or two seven, uh, nearly three years ago now. Uh, so the analog captor is a very simple load box, 100% analog with an analog speaker seam. So see, I'm not against analog speaker yep. seam. We wanted to design something that's uh, not too expensive, uh, very effective, very small, cool looking, um, and that comes with the Wall of Sound plugin. So it's a full recording solution uh, at a very good price, I think, for any guitarist who wants to, who wants to go into home recording, for example. But many pro artists are using it. <laughs> just because it's it's uh, it's a commodity. It's it's not expensive, you don't have to think twice, just get a couple in a drawer and it's there in case you need it. Also, it has uh, one level attenuation that's kind of strong, that lets you use live, like push your amp, hard and not be a nuisance to the front of house. So uh, it was, uh, I think uh, that's probably by far the most successful product we've, we've ever had in terms of volume, yep. number of units. Captor X is, is a different beast. It's the same box. Instead, it's, uh, and it's white uh, instead of black uh, uh, because in, in the two notes world, black means analog. So, uh, uh, um, Capture analog is black, reload is black, okay. and and uh, uh, digital is white. Okay. So uh, Torpedo Live, Torpedo Cab, Cab M, uh, uh, Torpedo Studio is a little bit different. It's white and it's more fancy, more color. But uh, but the the Capture X is black and white because it's a digital unit. So you have the same load box, but on top of that, and instead of the 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 analog speaker seam, you have the awesome Torpedo process which is digital, and many exclusive options that the CaptorX is the only product to have, such as we now have an awesome stereo reverb, we have the enhancer that will help you sound more produced, that makes sense, um, and we have uh, a, a, an effect called Twin Tracker, which will create a stereo effect from a mono signal coming from your amp. So with the CaptorX, you have your amp, plug the speaker out into the Captor X, and then you do speaker seam miking with two microphones, and you can send that signal to the stereo reverb, stereo twin tracker, and output two lines out, uh, uh, balanced, so you can use that live in the studio. It's very, very good, strong signal. And you can play with stereo effect, or use those two lines to send one to monitors, one to front of house with a different mix. Can I just say thank you for thinking of stereo? I've played stereo since the 90s. I used to have two Marshall boxes. Back when you could play with volume in my town, now everything's direct and yeah. stuff. We had this great rock and roll venue down the road from me. And 
I used to crank two Marshall boxes in stereo. It wasn't about volume. It was about spread. And still to this yeah. day, when I play with, I, I play with a, a few uh, 80s pop artists that I grew up listening to on the radio. When, the, when they come my way, I usually play guitar for them. Uh, and awesome. they see me haul out two boxes. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not loud. It's actually so I can be quieter and spread the sound. Uh, so I can hear yeah. myself all around the place and not be as loud and not just have one place where it's roaring and then I can't hear it three feet down. So I just want to say thank you for thinking of stereo because that's <laughs> overlooked by so many people. It's like, that's great, but dude, stereo, come on, you know. Well, the, the thing is, uh, well, we, we already had the Torpedo Studio, which is stereo, like through stereo, two different cabinets, two different microphones. In the case of the Capturex, it's only one cabinet and two microphones, but that part is mono. So when, when usually when you do a, um, a stereo, let's say, wet, wet rig, uh, uh, so two cabinets, it's usually the same cabinets, and the miking, you try to have the same miking. Otherwise, you, you may lose some balance between the left and right signals, so you yeah. try to replicate the same stuff on both sides. So that's what we do with CaptorX. You have the same cabinet on both sides, the same miking, exactly the same, but... You can adjust the level of both sides. You can adjust how different they are in terms of timing and playing. So it's really like you have another guitarist with you and more than just you playing like chorus or tremolo, stereo, like Leslie effect. That's not really what we offer. What we offer, it's like it's you and another guy playing at the same time. That is cool. And the stereo reverb is just, I mean, especially for people who play with the headphones, as soon as you have that reverb that surrounds you, and we worked a lot on that feeling, the surrounding feeling, yep. it's it's a world of difference compared to like a mono reverb. Even if I'm, honestly, I'm a mono guy. I, I like, I mean, I record guitars in mono, and I, I, I like being able to decide later on how I set them in the stereo field. But in a band where you're the only guitar player, uh, uh, or if you wanna play a solo and, and add a little bit of effects so you are, like for example, if you want the sole guitar player, your guitar will be somewhere in the mix on the left or the right, and the bass will be on the left or the right, and suddenly you want the solo and you want the guitar to be everywhere, yeah. you just kick that in and whoof, that stereo effect, especially live, it's awesome. Like for the audience, it's suddenly the guitar whoop, opens up and is everywhere in the room. And that's a very cool thing that you can actually trigger in Capture X with MIDI uh, uh, just kick that on at some point. Uh, uh, to, to tell you a bit of history about that, I developed the function uh, per request of uh, Frederick Tordendal from Meshuga because he is using that effect on some of the recording and he could never find a live unit able to replicate that. So we worked with him up to a point where he said, yeah, all right, yeah, that's how I sound on the, on the album. Yep. Don't touch anything. So we actually made a pedal for him that we never put on the market. Don't ask me for it. Yep. It's not a for sale. It was just the one shot. But we use the same algorithm in the Captorex because it, it works. Yep. Just adding that ambience. I um I was one of the first guys touring in Australia with a Kemper, and hmm? um I I was actually in a Queen tribute show at the time. We'd sort of do international gigs, and I jump awesome. on a plane just for my Kemper. Every time I played a chord. At soundcheck, I just have people running down, going, "What the hell is that?" You know, uh, but I tried wearing in ears uh, with that and not having you know too much sound on stage. But it was too direct. I would be apologising to people, going, 
oh, sorry, I messed that up. And they're like, what do you mean? It's just too direct. So by having just that little bit of ambience around you, you don't freak out every time you're sliding around. It's going, oh, what's, what's that? What's that? Um, so that's very cool. Oh, so about that, about that. So we, we, you and I know that, and m most, most people probably don't, that um, for people working monitors, like professional working monitors, yep. guys who are good with in-ears are, are not so many. I know a lot of them, and it's a very specific job. Like making the mix sound good for in-ears is not easy at all. So those guys will use, let's say, ambience mics on stage or for the audience, yeah. so the artist doesn't feel totally disconnected from, from the audience. It's, it's complicated. It's hard. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, uh, I mean, the camper is an, a very good product. I, I, I would never say bad things about it. It's not the stuff I want to use or to develop, but it's a, it's a great product. Uh, and uh, uh, we do it a little bit differently. And with CaptureX, there is one thing that will give you exactly what you say. Yeah. The fact that you can have the two lines uh, 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 work differently. So you will have the same cabinet mic, so the core tone will be the same, but you can have a different dry, wet level on the reverb. So for example, if you need a little bit more reverb on your monitors, to be more, uh, let's say, it's easier to play with a bit more reverb. Yep. But the front of house doesn't want it because you want to take the decision in the mix of how much reverb you have. Yep. That way you can choose what you have in your monitors and also you can choose the global EQ on the signal. So, and it's a, a parametric EQ, so you can change the tone a lot and I was talking about artists who like to have analog speakers in because let's say in the upper high ends, uh, anything above eight to 10K, analog speakers in have a hard time doing the very deep cut you have in the real cabinets. Uh, it's technical, uh, but just, just assume it's hard to do with analog. So the analog stuff would just do like a very nice low cut, very smooth, which means a ton of more, a ton more high frequency. Uh, with the with the parametric EQ, you can bring those frequencies up for monitors if you want to hear you better, without having to push the level. Okay. And uh, I, I guess I'm getting a little bit technical for <laughs> for people who are not used too much to stage, but people who, who, who are uh, used to stage will understand what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it's great to be able to have a different mix, different kind of tone for your monitors, and and send something that very raw very easy for the front of house guy, front of house guy yep. but for you have a little bit of control of what's sent to your monitors. Mm -hmm. not, not, not every band has one monitor uh, engineer, one front of house engineer, maybe a, a guy on stage to help set up stuff. I mean, we talk about like big touring bands Absolutely. when you're up to that. Most people will have to do everything by themselves, probably handle the monitors from their uh, Behringer X32 rack, whatever, to, to yep. everybody has his own monitor. So we just wanted to help you with that and do the settings in your box instead of doing it in the mixer and, and everything. It's just, a, I think, a very interesting way to work. You, you mentioned having a good monitor guy, and I have seen people trying to do their own monitors, especially in smaller bands. You know, guys, I see guys trying to play the drums and adjust their their own monitors and stuff. I was very lucky. Um, you know the Australian band In Excess? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure. <laughs> yes. if, yeah, overseas. I, I had. Oh, they sold a few records. Yeah, I don't know how many two. millions, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I had their old monitor guy um, on the road with me, and awesome. um, I ended up towards the end ditching the amps. I, I would have backline AC thirties just as props, and I was just going through the monitors. He would follow me around the stage wherever I was because I was doing the Brian May thing and I'd run around everywhere if I was over that side of the stage he would follow me onto those monitors over there and it yeah. was great to have Phil doing that and he was on the ball and I really can't imagine trying to do all that stuff yourself but it sounds like you, you've put some tools in there to make it a lot easier for guys to do it themselves well the thing uh, and uh, okay so following you with the monitor stuff and, and that's something you don't need to do when you have in ears and I think most people nowadays, especially the ones who want to handle their monitors, either they stay static on stage, yep. they can't really move, yep. or because, well, you're right. If you're going next to the drums and you get the drum mix, monitor mix, yep. and you're the lead guitarist, you're dead. Probably the drum mix yep. has no lead in there yep. or no vocals or whatever you need to, to know where you are. Uh, uh, with with in-ears, that's the great thing about it. You have a wireless most of the time, you have your in-ears, and your mix follows you, obviously. Mm. So as, as long as you have a very good static mix, something that that, that, that you're happy with, with, you can jump anywhere on stage, and it's still there. Yeah. And uh, I think most amateur band who understood that, who took the time to work their monitors, once they have the in-ears, I mean, I, I know it's not a, a great sensation, especially when you start working with in-ears, because either you are you can afford very expensive one that can actually go very low in frequency and very high and gives you a not too shitty sensation when you, when you listen through it, to be honest. I don't like very much ear monitors. But if you're able to afford the multi-thousand dollars ones, it's awesome. Yeah. If you're not... The, 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 and, and today, I'd say you can find an expensive solution that works. But let's say 10 years ago, ooh, mm. like most guitarists would say, yeah, I'm not using that shit. It's awful. <laughs> today, it's different. You can find good ones. I can't sing with ear monitors. I know it's, I think it's very, very hard. As soon as you move the mouth, it yeah. opens the ear, opens closed. So you need to have spatial molded stuff. I mean, I don't know. Well, I'm a bad singer, so nobody asked me to sing. So I me think too. I'm safe from. <laughs> uh, I, I used to try. I, I worked for Apple uh, about 10 years ago, and I was a trainer for them, what they called a creative, and I'd have to teach people how to do all the creative stuff on an Apple computer. And I had to talk all day over the ambient noise in there, and it destroyed my voice, and I just cannot sing a note anymore. It just, I don't know what the hell it did. I've been to the speech therapists and stuff. I was just like, I'm just going to give up. <laughs> Yeah, stick with the guitar. I mean. Yeah. Well, it has made me concentrate more on the guitar. Yeah. Now, one thing, um, you may have mentioned it as I was checking out the comments there. I, I saw it drift now and then. But I don't think you mentioned that the new Captor X I, iOS control. So you can actually choose everything from an iOS device. Am, am yeah. I right? So so it's it's not just iOS. Let me, let me show you. So it, it's actually any mobile device, Android, iOS iOS tablet, Android tablet, so the yep. full thing. You can control the unit with your phone. I'll show you the interface. Um, I don't know if I have the, yeah, uh, let's see, because I have the CabM next to me. We are working on a on a new update, so it's there. So I'm okay. using also the, uh, my, it's, at, uh, it's a Huawei uh, Android phone, nothing fancy. Yep. 
but I'm looking. So that's the, oh, it's not the cataract, but I can show you the interface. So you have this yep. on your phone, and that's the, what's that? That's the old CabM interface where you have, but the cataract is not that much different. You have different faders to control the mic, and you have, let me see, this is the room. So it says not connected because I, I'm not, yep. but you have the room. And uh, you can play with your mic. And yes, so th the idea with this is you can, if you're in your studio, yeah. probably you will want to plug the USB out from the unit and control everything from your computer. Yep. But if you're on stage and you want to make just a quick adjustment, we have a few knobs on the interface to switch presets and you have MIDI control of every parameter. But if you want to do a, a quick adjustment and just see what's going on, what you're doing, just your phone, do a quick thing, and it's it's very simple. I can try to connect the cab M. I would do it. What kind of range does it have? Like, could I essentially have my front of house uh, engineer choosing my cabinets from out front? So we we we're, we're working on that. It actually depends on the environment. Yeah. Uh, and this like is through Bluetooth. On, on big stages. Is it? Yeah, Bluetooth? it's Bluetooth. So Bluetooth can be twenty meters in a clean environment. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have any walls or anything. Uh, like at the office, it's not really clean because we have a ton of computer, the studio, whatever. Uh, but we can be in a different room and still control the units. Uh, but it's a bit random. It depends on, on your environment. Um, we try to improve that, but Bluetooth has limits. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, but, but there are actually, I mean, the Bluetooth standards was, was developed, to be honest, to be, to be working with one meter. Like keyboard to desktop or to laptop, yeah. uh, phone to your car audio or headphones to your phone. And uh, that's one meter or two meters tops. Uh, uh, the standard says that you can do better, but it really depends on the environment. Sure. And uh, I, can't, I can't tell you for sure. We, we've done tests where we were like 15 meters away in a different room and sometimes it just doesn't. It's front of house, I'd say if you are in a small venue, sure. Bigger than you, eh, yeah, maybe not as good. Yep. Is is Bluetooth uh, prone to interference from other people with phones and stuff in in the area? Is that going to affect the, the the range of pickup? <sighs> any any wireless system will be affected by the range. If you, either if you have Wi-Fi, like even the two point four gigahertz on wireless system, that's the same frequency as Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to find a wireless system that will be immune to that. But I'll tell you what, uh, uh, if you're worried about uh, the audience messing with your system, I would say you shouldn't probably try to fix the mic position while the artist is playing on stage. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, to me, that's the work you do during rehearsal. And Sound if check. you have a fast thing to check, that's the mixer. That's where it needs to happen. That's not moving the mic. I know some engineers love to uh, fiddle with, with those settings. Uh, you, you were talking about Testament earlier, right? Yeah. Saying I was happy. I'm very happy to work with them. When they call me, I was like, wow, all right, let's go. Uh, the, the front of us uh, engineer who's German uh, and Christian, who's very, very nice. Uh, he loves having the toys uh, next, to the, next to his boards. Yeah. So during the show, it's actually he's using a, a, a cab M and one of my preamps, and he's turning the knobs, adjusting stuff, making the lead go more distortion. It's actually playing with it. I was like, I was like, I was livid. I was like, 
Oh no! Don't do that. You shouldn't. Oh, really? You shouldn't do that during the show. He was like, "Yeah, that's okay. That's how I work." I'm like, "No, just just if it breaks and it doesn't break, right?" But it's just, I'm like, "No, you have just do it with a mixer." He's like, "Yeah, I'd be fine." And he's just, I mean, whatever works. But I'm, I'm that's not how I work. I'm too stressed. I, 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 the mixer, if you need to do EQ, gain setting, whatever. You do that in the mixer. If you did something bad during rehearsal, yeah, you can try to fix it. But I mean, it's not like a real mic that the basses can just just drop by <laughs> by by shooting it on stage, and someone needs to run and put it back. That doesn't happen with a torpedo. It's set. It's there. It works. Doesn't break. Nobody can can kill it. Instead, you can unplug or sure you can cut the wire. Usually it doesn't happen, <laughs> so so it's more reliable than a, cur- a usual mic uh, uh, system. So so yeah, so so I'd say do that during rehearsal, do that from stage. Uh, that that would be my advice. Okay, now you, you mentioned like the the doubling effect. I forget what you called it. That's that's built into into the new one. Uh, twin tracker. Twin tracker. Now. Um, that's something that really interests me because I'm one for double tracking guitars and, and just having slight deviances running in stereo like that will clear out the middle of the signal, which is where I kind of want uh, bass, drums, vocal, and sort of push me out to the sides. Are you creating deviances in pitch and timing in there, or is it just pitch um, to double it? Or well, is it something completely different? It's 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 a bit of both. Um, uh, well, when you wanna, so what we're trying to do is to replicate another guitar player. Yeah. So uh, uh, so because we 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 have just one signal coming in, the only way to replicate another guitar player is to create chaos. Mm. So the difference between you and me, if we play together, is we'll have a different timing. We will have a different tone. And uh, uh, probably I will not bend the note the same way. I, we, we will have the same string. So yep. I will be slightly out of tune differently from you being slightly out of tune, right? That's, that's how it works. Um, and uh, like if you, if you look at a symphonic orchestra, nobody's on tune. Like everybody's just around the same yeah. note, but nobody's exactly the same. And that's what's actually create that very nice chorusy big yeah. effect. Yeah. Yeah, and this the is the problem with auto tune. This is the problem with auto tune. Everything is so precise. No, if if things aren't tuned, you know, there's somebody there, there's somebody at this pitch, there's someone there, and and what is correct becomes much thicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so so you need that, and and the fact that the the timing differs is also what will create that stereo effect. So let's say most mono to stereo effects are time based. Let's say the simplest you can do is just add a delay on the other track. Let's say you're on track left and you add a delay on track right and suddenly, boom, you will hear that stereo effect. Problem with that, <laughs> there are several problems, but the main problem with that is that the, 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 it will mess with how the different notes will be spread over the, the, the stereo field. You will hear the low end at some place and the high end at some other place and it will be a little bit messy. And it's very bad. It's not very much mono compatible. Yeah. Uh, it will face. It will create uh, a comb filter, which is not amazing. So what we do is we create chaos in both a little bit of pitch and a little bit of time thing. 
So it's not always the same delay, always the same page. It just changes over time. I can't say too much about that, uh, but it just changes. So we try to create chaos so the other guitarist is never doing the same as you, and it's and it's always changing over time. Like the other guitarist is sometimes it can be behind you, sometimes it can be ahead of you, is never with you 100%. That's gold. And that's, yeah, and that's, that's how gold. we do it. Because uh, having experimented with just fixed delay times, you know, like maybe 30 milliseconds or something, the ear, the one that it picks up first is perceived as louder. That's something that people don't don't realize. Uh, so if you yeah. were just try and do, you know, just with a, a static delay, yep, 30 to however long you, you want to try and spread that, whatever's first, it, you can look at the meters, they're dead exactly the same, but whatever your yeah. your ear picks up, and that's just one of those laws of acoustic well, science. It, it's because your brain works with phase difference between sounds, right? Mm -hmm. That's our perception of space comes from phase. And the thing is, if you miss, if you mess with phase by doing that static delay, your your brain try to analyze that. So you're right, the matters don't lie. The matters are stupid. They will display the level. But your yeah. brain analyze that as being, oh no, the, the the low end is there, so it's more loud here. And and um, uh, so actually, we have two settings. Um, we have two settings. One is uh, the the the. Um, how do we call that, by the way? I don't remember the name, the setting. It's I think it's a oh well, I'm tired um, because it changed a little bit. But it's a, it's one about the timing. So how uh, 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 oh tightness? How tight the other guitarist is? Yep. So the more you will push the parameter, the less he will be playing with you, and the more it will be playing with his own band next to you. Um, and the other parameter you have is a balance. So the balance will help you uh, uh, not have that sound difference between the, the two guitars. Because even with our system, it happens that you will hear one louder than the other. It's yep. a little bit random, so I can't know how, how louder you will perceive it yourself. So we give that as, as a setting so you can balance them back so they sound more more the same. Okay. And it's... Uh, that, that, to be honest, I wouldn't really recommend using it for recording. It's for recording, I'll tell you what, just record yourself playing several times and that's the way to go. That's the way to go. Uh, you will not save time by using a mono to stereo effect. It's it's usually a bad idea for a very, very simple reason. The mono compatibility of that and of any mono to stereo effect is not amazing. You can hear some phasing effect when you're listening on a phone or uh, your mono uh, um, uh, speaker, Bluetooth speaker, for example. Uh, I, I would not recommend using that on a record, but live, it's awesome. Yeah, it, it, it it's bringing a new dimension and play or, or playing home with headphones. Suddenly, with headphones, it's like it's so much thicker, so much nicer to play so much surrounding you creating that effect of of acoustics uh, uh that's impossible to have with a mono signal and uh you you, you need to but but on a recording hmm, i mean uh uh on a recording uh, I, I would recommend just keep like do your job like yeah. do, do your home double track it record <laughs> several tracks yeah, yeah that's always the best best way to go you know when i'm double tracking things 
And thank you for covering me as I just changed the battery in my camera then. <laughs> I did warn you. <laughs> I need to get a, one of those power things so that I don't have to go through batteries. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, folks, I did warn uh, Guillaume that um, if I <laughs> – I'm going to put to him and go grab my other battery. Um, one thing I find when I am double-tracking guitars, the first take, it'll take me – because I'm so anal about getting my rhythm guitars tight. Uh, I, I pride myself on my rhythm guitar playing because it's 90% it's of the gig. I know a lot of guys that can mm. out shred me, but most of those guys can't play rhythm guitar for shit. Uh, did I say that? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, <laughs> well, that's the reality. It, it is, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, but that first take uh, will take me a lot longer. When I go to, the, to do that double, it's usually one or two passes because the other one's there and it kind of blends and it, and it hides little discrepancies as well in your playing. Um, but I'm so used to that sound that I'm really uh, looking forward to, to trying it. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and and uh, I'd like to say a word about what you were saying. Uh, it's funny because I, was, I had a friend sending me uh, his new album the other day and uh, I listened to it. And I'm like, so he was asking me about the guitar tone. And I'm like, I cannot talk to you about the tone. You have, you have a rhythm issue. Yeah. Uh, uh, the problem you have is not your sound. The problem you have in that mix is the fact that you recorded 10 tracks of guitar on the left, 10 tracks on the right, and you're not good enough to do that. Yeah. Just do two perfect per side and try to be as good as you can on the time. And if you want to, you can play above or behind the time. I mean, if you are a very good player, you know what I'm talking about. You, you can play around the time. But if you do multi-tracking, you need to remember what you were doing the time before because your effect is lost if you multi-track. And you know what? The people, I mean, guitarists love technique. I mean, many guitarists try to be as fast as possible and, and kind of stuff. That's not really my stuff. Uh, I, 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 I admire fast guitarists and, and guys who are very technical. I admire them. That's just not my thing. Uh, the... the the, to me, the magic happens when you have a good rhythm guitar, a good bassist, and a good drummer bringing the bone and the meat. So a lead guy can actually build on that. But if it, the, the, the best bands, I mean, look at the Rolling Stones. There is nothing technical about it. But if you want to be that, that precise that, that, and, and if you want to make that music swing, you need to understand timing, mm. and it's hard to do properly on ten tracks per side. Honestly, it's impossible. Absolutely. So what, what, when you do the, so you never want to be exact. I mean, you want to be perfect because that's what you can do by taking the track, copy, copy paste it. Yeah. And that's the thing that many people. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen that on forums. People saying, "Yeah, so I copy paste the same track two times and I change the tone." Just and I'm play like, it. Players. Yeah, that won't work. Yeah, you, you will not you you will not get anywhere close to the recording you love if you try to do that. Those guys were in the studio doing ten thousand takes to find the good ones that work together that get that bring the tone further. But changing the EQ and copy paste and doing adding delay that will never work. Hmm. Never had. Never will. You need to you need to practice. You need to be you need to practice your your time precision, your placement on the track. And if you don't do that, if you never play with a metronome, if you never practice with a, a very good drummer, 
you will never know what I'm talking about. And it's mm. a ton of work. It is. And I've said that to so many guitarists. Usually it's guitarists who come to the my studio. I, I work with many, many bands, usually small bands, like amateur bands. And they're like, like the bass player, understand that. The drummer, obviously, understand that. But the guitarist wants to put so many shit in there. I'm like, just dude, just just focus. You need to work with those guys, all right? Yeah. So try to just play something simple that's, that's grooving. And even if it's metal, I mean, I don't care. Uh, it's not as, depending on the style. Uh, if you can groove playing death metal, you, you can play very good death metal. Yeah. And the best bands if, uh, uh, playing death metal, like, like Death, the band, or, or some of the guys, there's so much groove happening, which is a little bit hidden under a tons of distortion and effects and stuff, but it's there. Uh, it takes uh, time and dedication to, to, to an experience to, to really understand that. And there is, it's nothing a sound engineer can fix. Yeah. That's too much asking for us guy to, uh, I mean, product designer or sound engineers to fix that for you. That's practice, time, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> I, I, drums is exactly the same. One of my frustrations is I know drummers that got all the chops and they just can't play a straight beat. You know, like, do, do you know the drummer Virgil Donati? You've heard of Virgil Donati? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's played with many of my friends, like Fusion, guitar. Yeah, uh, 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 yeah. awesome yeah. player. Usually, if I meet someone who's a drummer and they say that they're really into Virgil, I know straight up that their basic timing isn't going to be that good, that they're going to have all the chops. If someone says to me, I'm into Phil Rudd from ACDC, I'll just look at them mm. and say, you're hired, man. <laughs> well, you know what? With drums, playing slow, like playing something steady, like, uh, like 80, 80 BPM or 70 BPM, it's the hardest. Like. Uh, I mean, of course, it's hard to blast and, and, and be on time and be interesting and be creative playing very fast. But you can, let's say, cheat your way into this, right? But being like grooving with a very slow beat, uh, that's, that. I mean, my experience in this studio tells me I agree with you. That's yep. the hardest. Like having something slow grooving, yeah. it's very hard. Yep. Even learning to play passages on the guitar. Uh, the gentleman I had on yesterday uh, from Riff Accelerator, the great thing about their software is that um, it starts off very slow and it gradually builds up. They've managed to do it in a way, I, I know the industry secret that they've got little going there that he doesn't want me to reveal, but there's none of that time-stretching artifacts normally associated with trying yeah. to slow things down. And um, I mentioned the Queen show. When I left that group, I had several people say to me, oh, they've got other guys trying to do it, but it just doesn't have the same feel. And for me, it was because I learned to play it slowed down and I was copying mm. the, the vibrato and the pitch and then I'd gradually have it speeding up and I'd get the vibrato. So when I got it to, to pitch, my vibrato was exactly the same and mm. just all those little things. And that was the key is, you know, was getting it down slow firstly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's common practice when you learn an instrument to 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 slow down the pitch, practice. I mean, I play a piano, synthesizer. That's actually where I come from before guitar. Same. And uh, yeah, so 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 you you. I mean, if you if you went to school to learn, first you start with a metronome slow, and you try to make it 
work slowly and you speed up later on if you're trying to just run before you know how to walk we yeah. we all know that it doesn't work and uh um, I mean, people who just, like I said, cheat their way through playing fast, fast and dirty. Yep. That doesn't impress me. No. Anybody who has a bit of experience, we say, yeah, okay, we know what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I started uh, the organ, two-handed mm -hmm. and with a drum machine. And so I'd never really practiced with metronomes, but I was playing to a drum machine. And that really yeah. instilled meter and clock in me. And when guys don't have it, they can't hear they don't have it. It's really frustrating. Yeah. But I was obsessed with the drum machine in it. And I would do stupid things like, oh, let's hold two buttons down. And I shit you not, drum and bass, which, you know, the, the style of music that became yeah. drum and bass and jungle years later. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I was pulling those sounds as a kid out of my, the drum machine built into my organ. And that just fascinated me. And um, that's why I like things like uh, Noisier and Skrillex as well. Even, do you know an artist named BT? electronic artists bit of bit obscure uh, i don't think uh, i do you'll have to no. send me a link <laughs> yeah he he wrote the book on all those stutter edits and all those kinds of things and oh. my brain can just somehow process that um and that all comes back from starting out on the organ and well, getting into synthesizers first yeah i i i i did the same i mean trying to replicate on my my stupid Yamaha PSR whatever with batteries trying to replicate some stuff from Vangelis or I mean the stuff you, we had in the 80s which was awesome or even 70s and uh, 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 and later on actually I, I, I played I never played at a church but my uh, uh, school uh, we had access to a church where I had like a proper pipe organ from 17th century uh, with like like the huge I don't know like 20 feet I mean it was insane <laughs> there yeah. is no guitar, dude. There is no guitar amp that can go close to that feeling when you when you push that and on the pedal board when you push the notes, the low notes on there, and you have a full like large church in front. I mean behind you because you play yeah. behind. Uh, uh, I mean it's just it's it's a weird feeling. That's something you can't replicate with amps. Have you seen the video that Rob Scallion, 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 yeah, Scallion uh, put out where he goes to a church that has the big organ and it has a MIDI input? And he runs MIDI. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he plays that, Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody, and he's like, "I wish you could yeah. hear this, but this is all quadraphonic and like, yeah, this whole yeah, building right. is an instrument." And I've seen well, that at performing that's... halls, you know. And I was just like, "Man, that's some seriously big pipes." And and people told me, "Man, it runs all all the way through the walls and everything." So I can only imagine the low end that must come out of that. Oh, that's, that's insane. just that's insane. And and what's interesting, uh, it's the historic. Uh, think about it. You, you have to think that those instruments were invented at a time where, when what was the loudest noise you could hear, like around you in the world? Like was it thunder, uh, the the noise of a tree falling in the forest, uh, a guy hitting a piece of metal? I mean, the noise the noise weren't that loud. No, that's right. Uh, uh, and and suddenly you would go to the church, and that was that massive, impressive thing. Just, just pushing air, and it must have been a, 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 an amazing religious experience to be to be there. And suddenly, you had that sound coming around you. And I, I don't think we can. I, I think the only thing that can go close to that is the first time you go to a concert, right, or at a stadium or, or festival where you have so much noise around you, surrounding you, and and that's not something you can experience at home with your TV or even with your tiny guitar and uh, yeah. uh, playing with your friends. Uh, 
And uh, I think that, that I understood that the first time I played it. And I was like, those guys down there must have been terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I that's the voice of God. That's just what's happening. I can remember the first time I went to a concert with a big PA and I was about three years old. And Ooh. it was an Australian artist named John English, ironically. But uh, <laughs> um, and I can remember when it came on, being scared of the sound, like it's going to hurt mm. me. What? And, yeah. and you know, I remember my parents going, "No, it's cool, it's cool." The ironic thing is, and uh, I mentioned the Queen show when I was in the group. Uh, the guy who was doing the front of house for us, Pete Lyons. I actually spoke to Pete today and last night. Hi, Pete, if you're out mm. there. Um, he now owns that very PA. And when I found that out, and I was touring, touring with them, and uh, you know, when I'd come out and do the We Will Rock You, I'd climb the, Pete, the speaker stacks and I'd you know, do the... You're in character, man. You've got a wig. I've got the wigs back behind me there with the back. <laughs> <on the turn. laughs> I've still got the wig. Um, and to think that years later, that very PA that scared the crap out of me, I was standing in front of and going... I'm yeah. right, mate, bitch. You know, that was very cool. That was very cool. Having said that, what players are out there using your products that makes you go, "How cool"? Who's using? Uh, that, that you mean you mean mind? you mean the, the the artist I work with that? Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, oh, that that's that's a question. That's a hard question. I don't want to piss anyone anyone off. But yeah. I I say I, I <laughs> because uh, I work with all kind of artists like from small cover bands to to like large touring bands but i can i can talk about the ones that that uh, i was impressed with i think um well let, let's talk about friendship right yep. more than music or whatever because i think it's a bit more than than that uh, uh i've I, i'm not i'm not a connoisseur in prog rock from the 70s at all i learned but when i started honestly that wasn't my my scene i, I didn't really knew i didn't really know those bands apart from the classic from france like magma or or uh, uh, uh I, I was actually i was listening to marillion because i was a keyboard player so okay. <laughs> and uh or, but but the, the classic old school prog not my thing and when i started working with uh, blue ostercult and burke dharma uh, uh, it was, he's the nicest guy is, is, is quite old now. Yes, Buck, you are, but that guy is still, he's still so much about technology and trying to improve his sound after like 50 years on, on stage. I mean, it's insane. And he's still trying to improve and use new technologies. He will use torpedo stuff, campers, uh, depending on the setup he can bring to the stage. And, um, uh, that, that guy, to me, is an example of, uh, I, I mean, I would love being the same at, I actually don't know his age, I don't want to make him older than he is, but he's close to 70, definitely. Yep. And, and I mean, it, 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 I think it's very respectable to try to challenge what you think is the right rig and try to improve still after 50 years and trying everything. Like, he's... I mean, it's like Devin Townsend. Like every brand will throw at him gear, yep. and uh, 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 and he's trying to new stuff. And because those guys have a sound in their head, and it's not just about the music they play, but it's also about how it sounds. And they always try to all guys like Steve Vai or I mean, all of those guys were very 
influential to me, even if they don't use always my solutions, uh, but they help me understand what, what, how they think about sound. Mm -hmm. And I may not agree with them. Sometimes I think, yeah, no, that's not the right way to go. But, but, but first of all, they are the stars, so I'm nobody to tell them that's the right way. Yeah. Uh, but, but at least they, they opened for me some doors I thought were closed, yep. and it, may, it helps me make products better. Uh, if I if I have to say, the ones that personally uh, uh, had an impact on, on well the fact that I was very happy I mean like I said receiving an email from Ramstein or uh, uh, working with uh, Testament recently yep. uh, because that's the bands I've been listening to when I was a teenager uh, uh, and uh, or Slipknot I was <laughs> so I can I can talk about that because that's funny yeah. last summer. So I, I, I've seen Slipknot since, uh, well, I've seen them numerous times yep. since, I don't know, 1999, when they released the first album, something like that. And uh, yeah, because it was the 20, 20, 20th anniversary tour uh, last summer. And uh, uh, when, when they called me beginning of last year, I was like, oh, sh sure, we will find a way to work together. Sure, let's let's find a way. And I've seen them live uh, a few times since, and uh, they played a venue that's a Roman arena, uh, like half an hour from my office. It's an amazing place. It's uh, great. Like Muse shot a video there, Metallica shot a video there, and the Slipknot guys were playing there for the first time. They were like, "What is that?" Like, yeah, it's. It's a pretty old place. It's an awesome place to, to play music, and I was I was very I was a little bit uh, impressed by the band and uh, and uh, intimidated, and it was funny because Mick Thompson, so uh, uh, Mick is the uh, one of the guitar players, come to me. And he's a he's a gear nerd. I didn't know that really, and comes to me saying, "Oh, dude, that's awesome that you're here. Uh, you know, I have my custom speakers coming coming up, so we know because they were released at NAMM. but it was like." Uh, six months prior, it was like, uh, yeah. So we designed the speakers like this, and we went into into like straight away into very technical detail about his guitar system, how he saw sounds and stuff. And I was kind of blown away. Like many pro artists are not that much into sound or that much into the technical part of it. They have a sound in their head, but they don't really know how to make it happen. So they have people around them. Like uh, uh, Thomas Nordic with Steve Vine. Thomas is the guy behind Zappa, behind Steve, behind many other very or, or Guthrie Govan as well. Is is work with those guys to help them shape this their sound, both live and in the studio. And uh, 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 Mick is uh, 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 was so so interesting in all that that I was like I, I actually didn't know what to expect. Probably to see some guys who, well, we've been doing that for 20 years, so we don't really care. Uh, uh, we care about the music and the audience, but how we, we do the music, yeah, not so much. Let's use the usual recipe. And it wasn't that at all. They were uh, uh, so much into trying to find new solution, new stuff, uh, uh, challenge their own sound. And I love that kind of, of encounters where, uh, uh, I, I love gear, I mean, you, you know that. You don't go into designing gear or talking about gear if you don't love that stuff. And we know that it's not the gear that makes the music. But, but, but it's, it's a part of it. And uh, I think it can... Uh, it, if you're a bad musician, you can buy as much, gear, as much gear as you want. You will stay a bad musician if you have no idea, if you're not creative 
no gear can fix that. I've but seen this so much. I've seen that yeah, so much. Yeah, but if you are if you are a good musician, if you are creative, the gear can actually uh, influence you in a way in a way that it, you become more creative. I give you an example with Slipknot. It's a it's a it's a funny anecdote because I didn't know that. On the very first album, there is an effect on uh, maybe the song "Speed It Out." I'm not sure. Uh, it's like a vocal wah, okay, effect there is at the beginning of a song. And uh, 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 the Slipknot's fan will, will know exactly what I'm talking about. And that sound can only be made with the JX700 Boss rack unit. Yep. And that product was out of the catalog, like probably 15 years ago, yeah. and or even more. And I actually personally never liked very much that unit. Yep. But but they they have to hunt for those units used because they already always have two in the rack just in case, in case one dies and they tend to die after 20 years. Yep. So they have to hunt down those units because that's their sound. Yep. And nothing can replace it. So so it's it's funny I was talking about that with the guitar tech, uh, uh, Mike uh, who's a great guy. He was like, "Yeah, I need to to check the the Craigslist because or reverb because I need to buy have a steady stock of those just in case one dies because they they, they, they do die, and uh, and that's just that's mixed tone for that song and if we, and there is no way we change that. Yep. I'm like, that's okay. That's your sound and and so that sound created th that sound created that song. There is no separated separating that song that song from the GX. 700 and it's the same i mean if you're a synth lover you know and you were talking about in excess but we can talk about depeche mode and many of those bands you can't separate some of the songs from whatever uh, uh, uh synthesizer they were using at the time yeah. you can find mothers of course you can find very good mothers today but you will try to find the arp whatever they were using at the time or the the curse while they were using at the time or the it, you you know that if you want to get close to that, you will need that that synth. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it's it's that um, relation between the artist, the musician, and his instrument. And in the case of those bands, it's the synthesizer. In the case of Slipknot, in that anecdote, it's that uh, uh, boss product. That uh, it's them to that you know it's a bit stupid to say that, but it's let's take one and one and let's make three. And it can happen when you have great musician and great gear. Yeah, that's what we that's what we try to do. We've got a couple of questions in the in the chat there, um, and I'm I'm going to address those. Uh, and then after that, I want, I want to quickly ask you about your preamps. Actually, I'm going to ask you about mm -hmm. your preamps quickly now before I get to answer those mm -hmm. questions. Um, Le preamp, right? That's what they're called. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, are they all digital? Do they have an analog front end? What 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 goes on with those? I don't know too much about it's, them. It's it's a hundred percent analog, a hundred percent high voltage, and not hundred percent tube, but there is a tube. Cool. So, so the idea with the with the preamps was to, uh, well, okay, a little bit of history. We released the torpedo cab, which was the very first speaker dedicated speaker simulator on the market. We were the first to release one, like yeah. ever. Yeah. You, you could find other units that would do speaker sim, but nothing dedicated and nothing where you could go as deep into picking up the right 
cabinet and doing a Viking. We were very, very much the first. And I was using uh, several preamps, especially rack preamps with it. But in terms of pedal, and that was the when when pedal pedal board became bigger and bigger, and people were so so crazy about pedal that I was like, I have a hard time finding a very good preamp to go with it in a pedal format. Mesa mm-hmm. uh, stopped doing the V twin. You couldn't find the the Hughes and Gatner uh, was the two man, which I like, but I really like the the, the clean sound of, on that preamp. And you had a few other small brands, but oh, oh uh, Blackstar had a kind of a preamp overdrive, but it's more an overdrive than a preamp in my mind. Anyway, uh, uh, at some point I got tired of not finding something that I liked, so I was like, all right, let's design four preamp, three, uh, one for bass and three for guitar. And let's uh, 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 get some influence of on the preamps, the, the products I like, and do m- my take on those classic tones. So let's say classic tones would be Marshall, Fender, Mr. Boogie, which is honestly my taste. And some people may not like uh, some of those brands, but whatever, that's my taste. Yeah. And it's for the taste. bass. Yeah, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't discuss that. I mean, some people w- would never play Fenders because they love Marshall and vice versa. I, I don't really care. Uh, I love both. So, and and, um, and for bass, it's MPEG. I, I, I mean, my studio experience with MPEG, miking, classic MPEG uh, uh, amps and cabinets, that's my thing. And again, some bassists want more meads or more this or that or more modern sounding. Sure. Uh, uh, but... MPEG is my influence. Yep. So we, 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 we started with those classic sound and we tweaked them honestly to my taste. So again, it's uh, I've, I've went through the same process that uh, amp builders go, which is let's take a classic design and let's make it sound the way, I mean, with, with the sound I have in my head. This is what I want to offer to the world, to, to, to use big words. Yep. But... But so, so, so we went through the process or of designing uh, a t- around a tube architecture and high voltage. Uh, it, it's a mix of, of a hybrid mix of solid state and, and tube, except I think what's really different in our case is we use high voltage across the whole board. So we take a 12 volt input power supply, we run it up to, we push it up to 200 volts and the whole electronics runs at 200 volts which brings a little something. So even if it's uh, solid state, we run the solid state at high voltage, high voltage, it makes a difference. Wow, cool, cool. So, so it's, uh, it's, yeah. You've got several different, yeah, Go different pedals there. Are they all based on different sounds? You, you haven't tried to cram every sound into one pedal, right? No, uh, I wanted to make something dedicated uh, uh, that had, it has a lot of options because that's a bit who we are. Yep. But but uh, it's always two channel, one clean, ish, and one lead ish. So let's say the clean, you'll have yeah, I'll explain. The clean, you'll have a clean channel, the A channel that's clean all the way up. So that kind of basement twin yep. kind of stuff. And then you have a B channel when you have a bit of grit, but no distortion. That's not the point. So if you play blues and you little, you want that kind of mid rangey grit, you'll get it on the B channel without another drive. But if you just want a very clean basement style uh, 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 to work with pedals, just use the A channel. Yeah. Uh, the crunch is more Marshall-y thing. 
So even the clean A channel, if you push it hard, you will go into the kind of mid-range distortion we all love from Marshalls. Yep. And the B channel can go way higher. And you can also chain those channels. That's what the option we call fusion, where you cascade A and B. And in the clean, you have a little bit more saturation. And the crunch, you can go into metal territory, like old school metal, Slayer type yep. of martial modded stuff. Uh, so you can do that with the fusion mode. And the lead is a clean channel. That's something between the clean and crunch. So it's a different voice channel. So I took my influence from, let's say, uh, Metallica or Pedro stuff, if you know what I mean. Yep. And, uh, and then you have a lead, which is uh, one of my uh, uh, favorite uh, Mr. Boogie amps, uh, which is the Road King and the, the channel three of the Road King, modern. Uh, so we started from that because I love that amp. And I tweaked it a little to make it more up to my taste. Uh, but it can go pretty high in distortion. It's not very, let's say, uh, very compressed, like PV5150 type of distortion. You can go more into that type of distortion using the Fusion, where you can go from that more compressed stuff to even like proper, uh, uh, proper uh, fuzz territory. Like people who love uh, that old school... Uh, Swedish death metal kind of tone, you know, the HM2 yeah. uh, kind of stuff, like very compressed, very mid-rangey compressed, fuzzy tone. That's what you do with a fusion. You can go there with a fusion on the lead. And um, so, yeah, so I, I kind of try to make a, a, a greatest hits of my favorite uh, uh, preamps. Uh, we, we we are always asked to do more like a kind of orange or Vox or or Dumble, and, and I, maybe one day we will offer more preamps. That's not something I have in my books for the near future, but maybe we will offer more, more options to those. But what's great about them is that you can control them with MIDI. They can be used as MIDI controller, and it's programmable. So you can trigger program change to, let's say if you have an H9 Eventide uh, pedal, you can actually control that pedal with the channels on the, on the, on the preamps. If you have several preamps with just one MIDI line, you can actually switch them on and off. Like if you switch on the clean, it will switch off, it will bypass the, the crunch and vice versa. Yep. So that's a pretty clever uh, system. And uh, I, like I, I like think- that. Yeah, I've it, always it, been it, one to, it, to control my gear with MIDI controllers. Uh, in fact, I'm going to switch to camera here. I think when I change the battery, it's going to go to my iMac one, which is going to look terrible and I will change it. No, it's back. It's back. Uh, back here. I have got I bought this off Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> Who was it? Was it David it's, still or? Got, it's still got their, their markings on it. Um, and when you look at their videos, they have a um, their art director gets up on stage and um, uh, films one song on stage when they're on tour and uh, you can see this clear as day it's got a, a, a Line 6 M13 beside it so it looks massive but yeah this is it uh, and I would much <laughs> prefer have this at my feet uh, and all my expensive gear being controlled by MIDI up back because when you're playing small gigs yeah. people down the front they're drunk they're just throwing water and beer all over your gear so the fact that you've got those as, as being MIDI controllable that's a big plus I'm going to have to uh -huh. check them out I haven't tried one. I really need to check one out. 
Well, I can I can help with that. Uh, um, it's funny you mentioned that when we designed the when we designed so we we do work with Nine Inch Nails by the way. Oh really? Uh, cool. Great guys. Oh yeah, yeah. But they used uh, they used Wall of Sound on tour, so they used uh, uh, a special design uh, uh, preamp from I think uh, an Italian brand called Mezza Barber. I've just friend. started seeing those around. I'd never heard of them before, but all of a sudden I'm seeing the Mezza Barber around. It's it's very high end. Uh, uh, Ferrari type of amp uh, from Italy and Pier, Pierangelo is a, is a good friend and is very, very, very good designer. Very, very good amps. I'm, I don't have one yet, but could happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, they were using a, 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 a preamp that was, that was designed for them and the wall of sound because they have tracks on, I think they use main stage to trigger stuff. Yep. And they, 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 they had tracks running and the Wall of Sound plug-in on the guitar track. So that, cool. that was their setup, which is unusual on stage, but it works. Uh, uh, about the, 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 the beer situation on stage, I'm totally yep. with you on that. Uh, that's also why we designed the preamps uh, to, to be fully closed on top. And you have some airflow, so we have some holes punched on the side, but high on the side. So if actually someone pours beer on it, yeah, you have to pour a lot of beer so the level goes up to the yeah. <laughs> to the tube at the high yeah. voltage. I'm always worried when I see those kind of DIY tube preamp, high voltage tube preamp, where you have just the tube out, outside of the box, just there, waiting for someone to drop water on it or beer. No. I'm like, oh, that's that's a bad design decision, yeah. and, and also a tube can is always a little bit more microphonic. So when you have that out, it would grab whatever shit happens in the environment. So so people don't always see that when you see a tuner's product, but the design, uh, we I mean the the effort we put into design goes to that level of detail, right? Which comes from experience from stage either from my team or artists or customers we work with i'm always i i love getting feedback from customers when they say yeah i'm, I'm doing it that way it doesn't work i'm like yeah it's not supposed to work that way but probably we can do something about the design so even if you're using it that way it will keep working and it's it's great to to, to be challenged by our users I, I actually love that that's how we can build better products awesome awesome Guillaume, I've got a, a couple of cool questions, as, as I mentioned. I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to, Mo, I'm going to come back to your one there. But uh, Gabor is in the house uh, from the super oh, fun, Gabor. awesome, happy time pedal show. I can never remember it. I'm reading it right there. Uh, Gabor's asking, uh, are there more amps with built-in two-notes speaker emulation in the pipeline, like the Rev D20 and G20? And I've noticed a few <laughs> other, there's other brands starting to adapt your technology, isn't there? Um, okay, I, I I cannot talk about the brands we work with. Yeah, that okay. that's just basic yeah. industry agreement. Uh, I can I can say we work with other brands. Yep. I can say that uh, uh, many brands are interested in that kind of technology because they start to understand that that's a way to keep two bands relevant. Okay. That that. Uh, to 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 give them the practicality they don't have anymore. Yes. Uh, um, so I'm not saying they should use my solution, but I know that pretty much every tube amp on the planet is looking at 
some kind of IR loading solution, like yep. every one of them. Absolutely. Um, uh, and I don't work with everyone, but I work with a lot of people. Uh, I'd say the difference with us is most of those brands think that they need an IR loader, and that's not really what I offer. What I offer is a whole recording solution, a whole tone shaping solution, which is not just dump a file into a memory uh, at the end. It's yeah. a bit more than that. And some brands just don't want something more complicated. They just want that simple stuff that people seem to ask. And uh, let's say we work with Mesabugi. It's not a secret. I love that brand. I've, I've loved that brand forever. Yeah. It was like a, a very humbling uh, uh, experience to have them uh, contact us to, to, so we could work with them. So uh, uh, it's no secret that we worked on the Capclone IR. Uh, uh, and, uh, um, but they just wanted something very simple, yep. just something very obvious for them. Let's say the, the guitarist who doesn't want the hassle of going into the miking stuff. And, and, and I can understand that. The Rev guy on the other way were searching for a, a, a modern state-of-the-art solution that we offer with a torpedo process where you can do a natural miking and, 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 and go deep into shaping your tone the same way you would do in the studio. And uh, it's just two different approach. I don't say one is better, but um, uh, uh, what's for sure, some brands we work with are more wanting to go into like the full studio stuff, and some others prefer to have a very simple function. Uh, I know that I don't. Uh, I don't know if Thomas Blue mentioned it that he's doing some. I mean, he already has an IR loader, yeah. so I guess the next generation of I don't know if it's public, but he was talking about a new version of the Blue Guitar. Uh, did he talk about X, that? I don't know if did, I can. Yeah, the, 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 okay. okay. Yep, he didn't mention that it was yours. So he did say that there was an IR loader. No, 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 in there. no it's not. No, no, it's not. We it's didn't. Not. Uh, it's That's not a why. partner product, so it's own stuff. Yep. Uh, 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 and uh, but what I mean is uh, most ambulers, and I think he is an ambulers, even if it's not a traditional combo, or whatever. Yep. Um, but the most ambulers are looking at that kind of solution, and. Uh, uh, Gabor, you will see more amps using our technology. It's just that it's very slow. It's very slow for two reasons. First, we are very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so amp brands need to understand that there is value added by what we offer. And sometimes they just don't see it, which I understand. And in the meantime, that's fine. I, I sell thousands of products. So so I, I can't wait for them to, to understand that. Um, and second... Uh, uh, most of those brands uh, have at their head people who were there since the 70s. Yep. And they don't necessarily see that the market is evolving. They understand that there is digital happening and uh, uh, modelers and, and, and they think that their traditional analog approach will be there forever. But at the same time, the sales are new. Like, okay, look at the sales of 100 waters heads. I can tell you right away, I don't know one store who would have 20 heads in stock today like they used to have 15 or 20 years ago. Not one. Mm -hmm. Why? Because nobody wants to buy those anymore. Nobody wants, because we don't need those. Yep. We don't need 100 watts on stage because monitors are getting better, because PAs are getting better, because nobody can play them at home properly. And even, I, I mean, even if I collect them because I think the headroom of those 100 words is so much better than what you get on 50 or 30 or 
no, the headroom is. Guy, so you're going to know that that headroom is there. Uh, so when you're palm muting, it doesn't cave in. It actually pops forward. Yes. You know what I'm talking it's, about. No, absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? Even on, on I, I have a plexi at the office, and and I, I honestly at low volume, it's not an amazing amp by any means. But but if you crank it, suddenly it happens. Yeah. And and I want the hundred watt. I don't want the fifty watt version. Yeah. And I can crank it because well, guess what? I'm designing products that lets you that lets you crank your amp. So uh, um, uh, uh, but most people. Don't see the point. And I, I can see behind you. So you have that tiny PRS, you have that orange amp, and, and they sound great. Uh, 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 Would you but believe, those are not 100 waters. No, I, a mate lent me those. I don't have a decent amplifier right now. I, I, it's, it's terrible. I haven't done many product demos. Um, there's, a com there's a company that's going to send me a little something. He's going to send it to Gabor at the same time. Because uh, we're <laughs> Australia's so big and so far away, Gabor's about two hundred k's away from me. But that's still we're almost neighbours. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, I mentioned I was a camper guy. I ended up um, selling that. There was a lot of money, and I bought the Friedman small box um, with uh -huh. that money, and that was a fantastic amp. Unfortunately, I sold it to fund my trip to Forty Two Gear Street, and I've been without a decent amp ever since. And I've had people like, oh, hey, man, can you do a pedal demo? Bad. Sorry. That's Henning's fault then. No, oh, not, at all, not at all. Man, I, I was, I'm a nobody. Like I, I was ve felt very honoured to, to be asked along because – and I, I, there was a couple of guys there that are like, what the hell are you doing here, man? You know, like, and I didn't try and muscle in on their videos or anything because I knew that they, they probably got – but, man, I learned so much about how it all works, you know, and that's, that's what I wanted. Yeah. And that was – That's how we met. Of the world. I had to pay my own way over there. And I had yeah. to buy a camera and all that kind of thing, but it was well worth it, man. I get to meet guys like you and, and yeah, well worth it. But I'm still without a bloody decent amp. Those are just loners. And they are... I, 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 say, I, can, show, I can show it. So it's not a big one. So I'm at yep. home. I didn't mention it. So that's my home. That's my keyboard. Yep. Some pedals from France. And uh, we're still in lock... I mean, we're not in lockdown anymore, but just to stay on the safe side, I, yeah. I, I keep my 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 team at home and i just go to the office only when i need it but i just got this one it's not 100 water because at home i don't have enough room to to put them but look at that beauty oh how cute is that yeah that's a new rep g20 and that's the that's the torpedo out i don't know if you oh, I can see it awesome but you have the torpedo out here and um uh, it's an awesome man and i'll have some my kid put some uh, Star Wars. Uh, uh, <laughs> cool. Thing on top. Uh, uh, um, I think I'll have to bring them back, otherwise you will get angry at me. Yep. Um, so the, the um, I, I understand why people love those new lunchbox and smaller amps because everybody tries to. Well, we live we live in smaller homes. <laughs> yeah. So we need to we need to to reduce the footprint. Uh, of our gear and the only way to do that well is try to work on every step and have less stuff I, I'm, I'm privileged I have a studio at the office where I can have 20 heads and awesome stuff I'm, I'm, don't tell anybody but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the new SLO I'm not, I don't want the 30 the 30 is available I want the 100 so I have to wait so they can get uh, transformers <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah I, I love those do you know what the first thing that comes up if you Google SLO 100, Soldano SLO 100 is in Google? Yeah. Me. <laughs> it's me. 
Yeah. Yeah. I did a video. I borrowed one a couple of years ago. And if you Google SLO 100, I'm the first guy that pops up. And it's like, cool, cool. That, yeah, I just borrowed that off a guy a couple of years ago. Um, what an amplifier. It's, it's a very good one and I've always wanted one and I'm, I'm lucky enough and uh, I worked hard so now I can buy expensive toys like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, Speaking of uh, which, that brings yeah. me to the next question from Mo. Mm -hmm. uh, you remember, you know, Mo Draws, Moritz? Uh, yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, stupid question, but how many guitars do you have and why do you <laughs> now want to buy an Ibanez Pia? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, okay. Hey, Moritz. Uh, 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 um, so, yesterday. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm probably going into a little bit of a midlife crisis right now. So, I, uh, and especially as I was, uh, uh, so probably that lockdown had a lot of us re reconsider things. One of the things I had to reconsider is like, uh, I moved to a new house uh, two years ago, nearly three years ago, and the house is big enough. I'm very lucky. Uh, uh, and uh, I have, you, you, obviously, I have access to a ton of gear. And uh, that gear, most of the time, takes the dust just because I spend so much time at the office and not in the studio in my office uh, uh, that none of the guitars I have gets get played or whatever. Uh, 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 and I suddenly, I, I had to stay for two months in my office I have an office room at home, which is kind of big enough. Not as big as yours, but it's it's big enough so I can have a few stuff around. This is my and, lounge uh, room. Uh, <laughs> this is my lounge room. <laughs> and that's my 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 friend's bedroom here. Yeah. <laughs> so, You're seeing but, half of but, it. But it goes uh, the other way as well. I, I totally get it. And um and the the so uh, I had to build a studio here because I had to have to keep working and I have to keep working on my products that I have to listen to. I know it's a bit obvious, but uh, so I, I suddenly I'm at home and well, I have no guitars here. I just have a couple acoustic guitars, uh, uh, one from my mother, like a very bad Spanish acoustic from the sixties, which is a terrible guitar it's dead. I need to, well, it's just there. It's, it's nice. It's just there, but you can't play it. It does it plays so bad. Anyway, and I have no guitars here. And I'm like, okay, so I, I need to bring some from the office. And so I'm like, okay, so which one? And I have probably, I don't know, 15 or like guitars that I gathered over the year. Usually it's it's friends like the Routiers or, uh, and it's, it's usually not guitars that I chose. It's usually guitars that came from trade with from other people in the industry, which are very nice instruments. I mean, I'm lucky, like I have, I have this bass here uh, uh, from a, from a, an Italian designer called uh, BNJ, and it's a precision bass active. It's an amazing bass. Nice. It's, it's just so nice. good. Yeah. Web, I don't deserve that. <laughs> it's an amazing <laughs> bass. Uh, and I'm using as a reference active bass for my test. Uh, uh, and uh, I have that other guitar uh, from Wild Customs, which is a... Uh, 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 Look at that. Look at oh, that color. That's almost like, like an Ibanez uh, Fireman. Iceman. Iceman Fireman? Yeah, uh, yeah kind of. But it's still their shape, and there are like, like awesome details on the uh, on that. They are very good designers. Yeah. It was just, just gorgeous. Anyway, 
Um, and it's very light. I love it for that. And uh, and I was like, but most of those guitars were gifts or like I have a Stromberg because I helped Ola at some point and 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 um, but I I never chose them. And I was like, since I get to play a little bit more guitar at home because I save one hour every day not commuting, uh, um, I was like, it's time for me to buy the guitar I like. And uh, 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 so I, I started with Ibanez because, like you said, I, I used to play metal. Uh, um, and uh, I, I played, actually, I started playing on a very bad, cheap Ibanez, probably the cheapest they had at the catalog in the 90s. So it was not great, but still kind of a strati, whatever. Um, and uh, I was like, okay, uh, uh, so my question uh, that, and Morris was there to, to participate was, uh, my question was like, okay, those are the four models that my friends who really know Ibanez guitar advised me to buy. So please let's have a discussion and let me know which one I should buy. And and the discussion was awesome. Honestly, I didn't think so many people would, <laughs> would go there, even other builders. And actually really? I have to say, I have to say, yeah, uh, I based on yesterday, I bought an Ibanez Jam uh, 7V from a friend of mine. Uh, he had one he wanted to get rid of, uh, not, not get rid of, he wanted to sell it. Yep. Uh, and he loves it. And he's, he's, and I know he's a friend. And I like, oh, that guitar, that white gem. Yeah, that's one of the guitar I wanted to have on my wall and play with. I'm on track for a Pia, a green Pia, which are not on the market as of today. Yeah, yeah, you and I talked about it. So I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm on track for that. And you know what? Another builder that I love, it's a French builder called Vigier. And they make, I, I don't know if you know the brand. Have you ever heard of the no, brand? No, I haven't, no. Okay, I'll send you a link. Vigier guitars, like carbon. It's very high-tech guitars, and they look awesome. And uh, so I, I've never had any of those. They are pretty expensive. And Mia, who is uh, uh, Patrice's daughter, who is in charge of most of the business now, just contacted me saying, you and I need to talk. And I'm like, oh, yes, we do. Let's talk. <laughs> so I may be on track for a VJ guitar as well. <laughs> so I nearly bought three guitars yesterday. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I think we can call that a little bit of a midlife crisis. So to, to, to long answer short, uh, more it's pretty much 20 guitar at the office but nothing very nice i mean a few nice ones but uh i'm starting to think about the nice ones and uh on the same movement i've i've told my my u.s uh sales guy uh, justin i told him all right you'll you'll be traveling the u.s to work with the stores just tell me if you see something nice that would look nice at the at the headquarters at the tuna headquarters and he, he uh, and he was like, yes, <laughs> he loves, <laughs> he, lo he loves guitars. So I'm, um, I'm not really into cars or expense. I mean, look at me. I don't have, a, I don't have a watch. Uh, I don't. I'm not into clothes. I mean, you can figure that out. Uh, so, so guitars and amps. Not so much into FX. I have plenty of FX. Uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm kind of a guitar straight into the amp kind of guy. So I'd rather change the app rather than trying to match something with other drives or, and have like 80 pedals on the pedal board at the office, okay? All plugged, all working. And I have like just 
a few new ones from uh, Thorpe FX, from uh, Redbird, I have a Wampler. Um, but I have probably 20 amps in, at the office and I'm getting an SLO as soon as they are available. Yeah. Uh, I love the Synergy stuff. I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit more uh, vintage uh, uh, Fender. I don't have any Vox. I, need, I want one, a vintage Vox. Anyway, so yeah, I like gear. If just in case someone didn't figure that out already, uh, I do like gear, and I, I'm lucky enough so I can uh, uh, collect because actually we use them for work. So the, the the interesting part of that is I need all of them because I'm using them to try the torpedo stuff. I need all of those guitars because the interaction between a guitar and my cabam here, like I have that vintage guitar on my right, but I have an uh, EMG active pickup guitar on my left, which is another French brand called Lag. Uh, uh, and uh, it's a cheap guitar from the 90s, but I love it because I change everything on it. I will yep. repay. I, mean, oh, I, I, I showed it to you because cool. I love that guitar. And that guitar has been on many, many, many on my, of my shows uh, on stage. Which, and it doesn't have any marking anymore. It's kind of a super strat, nice. uh, fast. With a with a very nice neck, and we it's it it's just natural brown taint on top of a very white wood. I think it's a oh I don't know how to translate in English. Uh, either swamp ash or I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, it's nothing uh, very fancy, and it just has the lag thing here. Yep. And uh, but it's it's an amazing guitar. Love the neck. And uh, we, we, it's a project with a luthier friend of mine. And again, uh, it's a reference guitar because I know the MG, how they sound. And we need different types because the, I have active eight string <laughs> guitars or uh, we need a whole lot of, of, uh, of, uh, of guitars and amps. And that's what I tell my girlfriend. Uh, when she looks at me with that look saying, oh, you're buying another of those. I'm like, I, I'm, that's my job, darling. I need it's a tax write -off. It's not my job. Tax write-off. I don't know about the laws for you, but over here, yeah. Of course, <laughs> my life is a tax write-off. <laughs> and I like well, it. Well, I mean, it's, it's, and it's not, I mean, I'm not abusing the system. Like I said, I, okay, the synthesizer, maybe not so much. Okay. I don't really need those, but, but, uh, I don't collect that many synth, to be honest. I'm actually expecting the new Kurzweil PC4 because I wanted a Kurzweil forever. So I'm getting yeah. that. But, uh, if the post, uh, 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 into coming to my place to give it to me, it's been lost for weeks, but I, I, I still have hope. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, we need that, and you as a musician, and, and you need different texture. You need something that inspires you. Absolutely. Right? Yep, absolutely. You know, I, I choose instruments depending uh, on my guitars uh, for the gig, depending on if, if I'm playing with another guitar player in the band. You know, if they're playing a Les Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach for my, uh, my Telecaster. I've got a Richie Cotton Telecaster back there, and that has a oh, good contrast. Awesome. Oh, they're yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. They're great. Yeah. Um, mm. If I'm playing by myself, I'm the only guitar player. I'll go for there's a burnt guitar just over behind me there. I said yeah, what's that? Yeah, uh, that's that's my number one go-to for for live gigs. I'll, I'll grab it. Let me just switch. It's EMGs, it. right? No, no, no. Let me let me go oh. full screen. It's 
Yes, it's winter here. I'm wearing shorts. Um, <laughs> that is a, uh, a Fender Highway 1 body. Uh, it was black, and I set fire to it. I put lighter fluid on it and set fire to it. Uh, Looks I've awesome. Scooped out, I've scooped out all this, contoured it, um, as you do, to make it a bit more accessible. Uh, Kinman pickups. Have you heard of Kinman? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, that's a P90 style pickup in a single coil size. It's really hard when I'm looking at a screen. It oh. backwards. Uh, and <laughs> then the Woodstock 90s. Um, mm. Yeah, this, and it's all about this. It, it's that in-between sound, um, not quite single coil, not quite humbucker sounding, P90. Mm. Love it. Uh, when I was talking to, oh, yeah. to Bob Spencer from Roast Tattoo the other day, I'll just go back to that. I mentioned uh, that to me, a single coil pickup picks up more of the character of the guitar, whereas a humbucker, you're hearing more of the character of an amp. That's just my opinion. Uh, I could be totally wrong. Um, the P90 sound is that in between where I've got that enough push, but I'm still hearing the character of the guitar. Yeah. 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 Love it. Love it. <laughs> Yeah, I just I actually just have one guitar with P90s. I may have to work on that. Uh-huh. But yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, um, the guys at Harley Benton uh, told me to have pick a guitar off their website, uh, and man, they're, they're great guitars for the price. Like when I looked at the price, I was like, "Are you serious?" I mean, it's like, I mean, yeah. You and so, I, you and I started guitars at times where uh, uh, cheap guitars were very, very bad. I think it's awesome that kids today for 100 euros, 100 uh, dollars can get an instrument that's actually playable. Mm. And, and, uh, and uh, Benton, but there are many other brands, including like the traditional Ibanez, ESP, whatever. If you look at if you look at the entry level, entry level is not garbage like it used to be. And it's the same with amps. It's the same with FX. I think the, the, the you, you, and it's a it's a little bit disappointing that so many kids would rather go play video games rather than learn an instrument. That's just how it is. Uh, uh, While as a kid, if you want to play an instrument, man, with a budget that's very accessible, uh, uh, you can actually have something decent and fun to play. And uh, that helps you progress. Well, I remember playing on my stupid Rage 15 watts with my ultra cheap Ibanez and it sounded like it was awful. It was very, very bad and not, I mean, very uh, uninspiring, but that was the, the state of the art for cheap stuff at that time. Yep. Today, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm always amazed at, at, and even the quality of guitars made in Indonesia or Korea or even China has Im- improved a lot over oh, yeah. 20 years yep. up to a point where uh, I, even Mex- uh, and Mexican guitar. I mean, uh, I think the, the the quality of the high end gets gets. As, uh, I mean, the dynamics, the headroom, yeah, is a little bit smaller every day, and yeah. it's great for the customer. The the Ibanez Indonesian guitars. Uh, I was at a place on the Gold Coast here called Guitar World recently, and mm-hmm. we were just talking about the quality of cheaper guitars, and they they handed me one of the Indonesian Ibanezes, and whoa it was amazing like for the for the price i was like how how can they do that you know it's yeah yeah it's really kind of 
You know, yeah. I've still and, got and my. Even if you, yeah, sorry, sorry. Keep, go ahead. Go. <laughs> I've still yeah, got that's my a... first ever electric guitar back here. Oh. Unfortunately, this is all that's left of it. This is my first ever uh -huh. electric guitar. I'm just going to change the, the shot. Uh, I, I want to restore this. Um, and, it, and it's a bit of, you can see the history. First things first, I got scalloped frets up here because when I was 14 years old and I wanted a gem, I was like, oh, what, what's he done? He scalloped that. Oh, yeah, let's try a bit of that. It had single coils. I didn't even have the tools. I used a, a, a screwdriver to, to look at <laughs> Look at that. I, I really want to restore this. I want to get some good hardware and just try. It's a piece of plywood, but I really want to try some different pickups and hardware. It had a Floyd Rose, like a, a really cheap Im imitation at one point, and there wasn't Ooh, enough wood to hold those it. Those so we were off. Car those auto bog. Possible to tune. <laughs> car auto bog to hold in the Floyd Rose. Man, yeah. I, w I won a guitar competition. I won the best guitarist in the Gold Coast competition back in 1990 the under 18 section, uh, playing this. And I, I can't part with it, but I just need to completely kit it out. And I think I might be able to restore this and get it playing really well, you know? Well, it's, it, it's, it's probably possible. I mean, I mean, nothing I, I just saw is, is impossible to fix. I mean, it just has to, you just have to put a lot of super glue on top of that and <laughs> yes. just fill the hole with, yeah. <laughs> with glue. There you go. I mean, it's not it's not as bad as the plywood anyway. So go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guiami, you, have you got anything else that you'd like to touch on uh, while I got you here, mate? We've been going for uh, about two and a half hours now. I'm not sure if you've got a time limit or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually being told that my food is cold now. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the super, I live above uh, well, the supermarket and that closes soon, so I need to go get go see them. So, is, any questions, uh, <laughs> people? If we've still got people in the chat room. Um, that you would like to ask Guillaume while I still have him here. And I just said it wrong. I said, it's Guillaume. Uh, still gi guitar. Guitar, yeah. Guillaume. That's the yeah. way to remember. I had it in my head that it was a guh for some reason, but that was just... Well, the G-U... Well, actually, the, the word guitar in English is one of the very few where G-U is actually pronounced guh, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't have so many. The thing is, and that's why I can't wrap my mind around, is that... You guys know, obviously, how to say guitar. <laughs> yeah. If someone knows, it's a guitar player. Yeah. And still, it's a challenge. I told you, I need to, I need to find a nickname. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Actually, many Americans call me just G. There's, there's, one, there's one in there in the chat room, uh, and it came from Mo, and he's put, and it's pretty much the same, he's just spelt your name with gear. <laughs> Guillaume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the same. We love Absol the Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on, man. Like, um, I have learned so much from you from you through this, um, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there that could go through this and go, "Is that what the hell this is all about?" You know. So, um, uh, where can people get this? You 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 don't sell directly online, do you? It's all through dealers. And my friend we tagged innovative music. Was it in? Australia? Yes, it's, yeah. uh, so yeah. Innovative Music in Australia is yeah. our distributor, very yeah. good friend, uh, uh, great distributor. So we, we, we do sell online, but we always tell the customer, uh, uh, if I mean, give your money to the retail, 
give your money to your local guy if you can. I know I know Australia is very spread apart, so I can understand that if you're in the middle of nowhere, you'd rather go to an online store, which I totally understand. And we love online stores. I mean, you, I mean, if we talk about the situation right now, it's online stores who kept that business afloat for the past two months, right? Mm. Period. Yep. And uh, uh, so I, I, I don't say bad thing about it, but it's good to have a guy not too far where you can get strings from, when you can get to try and touch those guitars we love. I still I'm, I still believe in that. So we want to support them. So please uh, go to the Innovative uh, Music website, try to ask them about the stores who carry the Tonot brand. And uh, we will start shipping. Uh, the So the Captor X, the new product, is... Uh, I mean, should be in Australia any day, either today or tomorrow, uh, Friday. So, yeah, so it will start going to stores Monday or Tuesday. Right. Uh, I'm very proud of that product. I'm, I'm sure people will love it. It's already sold out on our side. So wow. uh, don't, wait too, don't wait too much. Yeah, so we, we're already working on the next batch, but uh, it's... It's been an incredible reaction from from the public, so we hope you love it. But I'm not honestly, I'm not worried. Um, I know it's a very good product, so uh, uh, don't wait too much. That's my advice. Uh, we will have just a handful on the Two Nuts website anyway. On the Two Nuts store, we will have like 80 units, so they will be gone probably within the first day or two. So, uh, but just go to your local guy. Tell them to call Innovative if you're in Australia. Yep. Uh, we have our own distribution in the US, and most of the big outlets will have the units within next week. So, awesome. Uh, um, awesome. And if you don't find them, just ask us. We will tell you where you can find it. Cool. Guillaume, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I am so looking forward to getting the Captor X. Um, thank you again. And folks, yeah. thank you for tuning in. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> and I well, thank you for having me. No problem. And I'm going to hit that little end screen button right about, hang on, which is the button I'm looking for. It says in screen. Now. <laughs> <laughs>